Hey, everybody. Welcome back to your favorite media response show. We are X's for show, and you can check us out all over your social media at X's for show. As for me, I'm Nico, and you can check me out at Nico Action on all your social. That's N-I-C-O-A-C-T-I-O-N. Soch, huh? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm TK. You can find me on at all the socials at xnatexgrayx. And that makes me your producer, Kevo. And you can find me on all the shows at Kevo Really. That's K-E-V-O-R-E-A-L-L-Y. And do we have a show in store for you? Now, I think uh, the comics world is the show. And now we're just responding to it. Yeah. That's the vibe. Uh... Well, and you know, that's something that we've been talking about a lot on this show. Because like the nature of what's going on in comics right now that's I think kind of got me thrown off is... The speed at which news is like flying out and the rate you kind of have to work to keep up with some of these projects is just getting out of hand. It's not just the rate. It's not the rate specifically. It is that there will be nothing. It'll be dead quiet. Then you'll get so many announcements, but the announcements are announcements about announcements. So it's like, just so you know, in two months, you will need to prepare for news about five months from then. Yeah, uh, and you get titles, you get authors, maybe all great stuff, but it's just a flurry, uh, and it's not real information. Uh, it's you know, it's not the trailer for the film. It is like it's the just the trailer. idea that a trailer could exist. And, it's the yeah. blurb for the movie. It is the three sentence description, and like, oh, okay. Well, it's so then, just, yeah, go ahead. So then let's jump in with our opening question. Sure. And uh, let's ask our big question for this episode, where we're going to be talking about all things going on at Marvel. We're going to be taking a look at an unbelievable number of announcements, where the books are now and where they're going. But uh, we're starting this thing off with our big question, which is when titles are announced for uh, January and December in August, do you still care about September's books? You know, for me, I think the big thing becomes when we're talking about, you know, what we're talking about today, which is sort of this nature of Marvel Comics' inability to focus on any one thing. Yeah, it does sort of throw me off. When I saw the lineup for Jed McKay's Avengers during Avengers Assemble by Jason Aaron, it took all the wind out of Jason Aaron's Avengers sales. It makes it hard to think the things that are coming out now can have any gravity when I see all of those characters in the exact same costumes on the cover and then sometimes in the preview pages. Yeah. And we've reached a point now where even if you want to say, uh, oh, but you don't know how they got there. Like they still could die in the book that you're reading now. There are still stakes. You don't know how they're there. You won't believe how the creative team came up with how to put the character in the book even though you know they're supposed to die in the next issue of the series that you're reading and the problem is we've been reading for over 30 years so we've seen some things yeah uh you know that would be a perfectly fine first time idea uh if you are starting a new comics universe you get a few of those marvel has used a ton of them and while there are often times where i think the writing is lovely uh and you know very creative for how they figured out how to do exactly the thing you know have a character in the book while they have just died and try and keep those stakes 
we're getting into a meta level of analysis and experience where the story of how they got to the story is its own story that I'm focusing on um, that also is getting repetitive. That that's the big thing is it's not just that the meta story is overwhelming in and of itself. It's that now it's it's repetitive because we've used these tricks before. Uh, so to the question, I still care about a really good September book when I see what's coming up in uh, January and December. But there are a lot of books that you know, be they by a maybe an unpracticed newer voice that hasn't quite found themselves, be they about a character I don't love. There are a lot of books that are kind of medium excitement no matter what and low investment that when I really can focus on them, I can fall in love a little bit. But when this Hi. stuff is happening, it that noise takes away from the focus of the stories that are out right now. And it also makes me feel like Marvel... Right. I don't have. They don't have confidence in the story that's out today. So why would I? I could say that. Now you, you know. Don't. Well, I was going to say, you know, in response to all of this, Kevo, how do you feel as somebody on the outside of comics, as somebody who you know reads casually? When you hear that, you know, I'm talking to you that this this event is going on, and the event that it's leading into is already starting up, and then in between that, there's another event going on in the other titles. How do you feel as a reader that wants to be able to engage more, but feels kind of held back? Uh, I think it's a lot what TK was saying in terms of it It feels like they undercut the stakes of everything that is happening by projecting so far forward. And uh, it undercuts the stakes of even things in advance. It, uh, it It's really tough. Uh, I did an event for X's for Podcast last year, was it? How many times is so crazy, especially with something like that, where we were covering it for months. And so you invest all of this time. And if you're just reading the one linear event, that's enough. But if you try reading stuff outside it, it becomes so much. And then something uh, that you put all this time into could sometimes amount to nothing. So then how do you get psyched up for the next one when one has disappointed you? So it's it's really tough. Uh, you know, I can see where sometimes it can get you excited for something, but it can also really take uh, the excitement and, and anticipation out of uh, things as well. So it's hard. And it's really interesting because I think back to when a friend of mine and I were discussing the at the time changeover that was occurring at DC. So this is back in like 2007 when they did Flashpoint into the world of New 52. And I said to my friend who, you know, has gone on to be a, a very accomplished person in comics, you know, my big problem with New 52 is it really makes me feel like everything I've read for at least the last year, while they knew they were doing New 52, you know, it's kind of a dead end. It's sort of invalid. And uh, this person said to me, well, that's not the problem with New 52. No one really cares if you go back on 10 years of canon. And that was such a telling thing to hear from someone in the industry at the time and to still be able to reflect on that statement, you know, new 52, it has since come to light that at the time, you know, they were saying, Oh, this is, this is it. This is the new universe. Just like crisis in 86, 87, this is it. 
buckle up, folks. It was not even a decade later that they started working on ways to reincorporate the new 52 and the original DC, you know, DC1, DC2 sort of universes back together. The problem for me becomes it's too many things that are all doing the same thing at once. I keep being promised these events. And then it's exactly like TK said at the start. It's the cyclical pattern. And I kind of feel like maybe it's not that the creators and the editors don't have the best intentions, but they have their own intentions at heart. And that means it can't always be about the line. And we're talking about, you know, a creator's intentions for their career their intentions for that book. Yep. And then that's multiple creators. That's an artist who has a vision for the look uh, and who maybe has a vision for the kind of stories they want to depict. And a writer uh, who has ideas for the stories they want to depict, who has characters they love. Uh, so that's motivations right there. Editorial has a kind of split motivation between wanting to produce these stories and help shepherd them and also being uh the in-between of a corporate mandate and then of course you have corporate interests which is an entirely different conversation that we always have to say like that's a huge factor but it is a huge factor about which we have so little knowledge and i think that's so important for fans to remember because i think people spend a lot of time saying things like this is so unpopular why are they doing it uh with absolutely no numbers on that like no testing done you might be in a bubble of people that really hate the x-men being out of the mansion that was the hot one this week uh yeah you know, it, the people saying that it looks like they're returning to the mansion and the comment that is totally shared in my bubble is one guy saying everybody has wanted them back in the mansion uh this is the best thing they could do and all of my retweets of that are people saying that is absolutely not true i do not want them back in the mansion I don't think I'm any more right than that guy. I don't think either of us has any idea. I think Marvel might have some polling in the field and have some idea of what thoughts on that stuff are. But I also think maybe they don't even really care because the comic side of things is a generator now for the billion dollar industry of the films. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch of players in the mix. All of them have different motivations very few of those are things that we can see, but we see the effect of them and it's becoming tougher and tougher to pin our hopes and interests through to the book amidst that sort of cloud of different motivations. And, you know, with that in mind, I want to talk a little bit about what it's been like to be an Avengers fan for the last year. <laughs> we have the unbelievable announcement that you know marvel's sort of like gritty god uh chip, chip zartsky who really does like the dark story for batman for daredevil is going to be launching alongside uh daniel acuna the new avengers twilight series which i think every publication i've seen run the avengers twilight uh kevlo if you would throw that graphic up for me uh what's coming Oh, thank you. The, uh, you know, everybody keeps running it with some kind of twilight joke, some kind of twilight joke. And that's very great. Very punchy. Mm -hmm. But the other thing it reminds me of by name is 
the twilight of the gods by alan moore which was alan moore's follow-up to crisis which was going to like end the dc universe in some regards and move it on to a new state of being and there is a long-standing tradition of when a writer has had the misfortune of publicly discussing a story that has then not come to pass it just kind of being open market and so when I hear Avengers Twilight, I'm wondering if this is going to be some sort of take on Alan Moore's Twilight of the Gods way more, or Twilight of the Superheroes, sorry, way more than it is going to be some take on, you know, haha Twilight. Um, but the other thing is the press announcements with all of this say Chip Zdarsky leads the Marvel Universe in his bold new vision for the Avengers and I'm like, but Jed McKay just relaunched the Avengers after what we were told is the biggest Avengers story of the last 20 years in Avengers Assemble. I, oh my gosh, man. I remember when Disassembled happened. They didn't try to outdo Disassembled for a while. They were like, new Avengers? That's not the Avengers. That's the new Avengers. And then when the Avengers came back, they were like, eh, it's still not going to outdo Disassembled. And they did a lot of stuff in between. There were plenty of events. There were, you know, we had Mighty Avengers. There were plenty of Secret Avengers. There were Avengers galore. Um, and the status quo was a sort of disassembled idea of the Avengers. They were not one unified group anymore. They were many things. And that was really fun. What do you mean broke up? Like like a band? Like, like the Beatles? <laughs> Worst line in that whole movie um you know that is just like it's just uh <laughs> okay. um i aaron's run really changed my life as a reader of the avengers uh really coming to from nico's recommendation to look at a lot of what aaron has been doing as a sort of claremontian task over at marvel through multiple books i mean talk about a dude with an agenda and motivations like since thor and probably before if you really look at a lot of the seed pieces aaron has been planting things setting things up putting dominoes in place you know tipping those over to reveal the pattern but there's more dominoes later when he gets to it and it's incredible work that he did and i was so happy to be able to experience it sort of just at the end with the avengers run but we dined on claremont's you know orchard that he left behind we still are dining on it still those pieces are in play and i'm very appreciative of all that i wouldn't have a lot of the comic status quo that i love if not for what claremont did but people used all of that stuff um it's really unfortunate that Aaron is doing this multi-book, almost two decades long run of ideas and stuff, and people are just sort of saying, "Those super cool dude, thanks, we're going to go do the next one. And before the next one even has any footing, we're saying, that's great, we're going to go do the next one. And meanwhile, I haven't seen or heard anything about Avenger Prime, the crazy multiversal Avengers with gorgeous Ant-Man Tony Stark. Um, there's and, and that's like the little superficial stuff. I There's so little that I see coming out of everything that Aaron did. Uh, and I just feel like I feel really bad right now for Jed McKay because... Well, I, we're 
we're going to get to how I think Jed McKay gets a little go, 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 go. No, later on. Yeah. Because uh, we, we got to keep this organized, man. Yeah, direct, so, direct uh, me. Oh, I'm not. No, I'm saying later on when we get to Moon Knight, we'll talk about Jed McKay getting too much leeway. <laughs> but yeah, I agree with you. Jed McKay here got the short stick, but you know, elsewhere, he definitely gets a little too much. Uh, this Moon Knight stuff, these relaunches, it's too much, man. But at the same time, like, uh, it's Moon Knight, so... Well, but like you know, I'm I'm killing myself trying to find this cover. Uh, to I can see that <laughs> put in the group chat, and I just can't find it, and that's fine. But you know, one of the things I do want to say, if we're going to talk about feasting on Claremont and what that means for the Jason Aaron run for a minute, something that Jason Aaron has been doing his entire career at Marvel has been tracing elements of Wolverine's history, and something he has also worked hard to do is to put Wolverine's future in play. Now, I think. When we think about the Phoenix, we have to definitely go by the real Phoenix stories. There was the Phoenix in the Exiles Malibu verse. There was the Phoenix Reign of Fire story. And what there really was outside of that was little things here and there that were Phoenix adjacent. Jason Aaron giving the Phoenix Force and uh, the Wolverine and the Thor arc, all of that, even though at the time he dealt with it, Jane was Thor and was a lady. She represented a male hero in so many ways. Jason Aaron's gift to Marvel in so many ways, though not to fandom if you ask most people, is the sort of deionicifying of the Phoenix. Sort of this more open to the universe male Phoenix entity that we get in characters like Logan and Thor. Of course, he was one of the forces involved in AVX, though you kind of can't look at AVX and say anything, but it was editorially mandated. No one person came into the office that day and said, can we just can I have all the books? Just big Phoenix guy got all the books. Right. So we're still seeing that now. One of the covers that I can't find is everybody saying it's Apocalypse with the Phoenix Force with Gene and Logan on leashes for a couple oh, no, of that's, X-Men Red. That's the last page of um X-Men, this uh September thirteenth X Men. I can pull it up. Uh, thank you so much. And yeah. um, you know, that's a thing that we're dealing with now, this male representation of the Phoenix, which couldn't have been possible without Jason Aaron. So it's it's a tough thing because I do think that the Phoenix kind of belongs to a feminine entity. I love Quentin Quire with the Phoenix because Grant Morrison made that possible in the pages of Here Comes Tomorrow. But Here Comes Tomorrow and the whole new X-Men runs discussion of male Phoenix entity was always corruptive. It was always not correct, whereas Jean was the healed white phoenix of the crown, perfect identity of it. I don't know. There's a lot to be said. But Jason Aaron, I think, was worked like a horse by Marvel to facilitate storytelling that they would then be able to go, well, but that was the Jason Aaron era. So, you know, it's kind of all his fault. And I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I mean... And I just don't really understand what they, what the end game was for Jason Aaron as one of their top creators. It really felt like this very methodical, very much appreciated buildup of like one of the great maybe company men of a new era. And maybe, you know, maybe he's on a bit of a hiatus after Avengers, but 
I kind of saw him becoming like uh, a Brevort, like really getting up there as a force of not just creative, but editorial. Uh, and now I feel like his role is just being really diminished. It's, it's tough because, you know, the other thing that's led me to an, uh, between the incredible team of me searching and not finding it, mm -hmm. uh, TK immediately producing it and Kevo immediately putting it up. We now have the yeah, image. So of this online. is that I, I, I just reread this panel in, in preparation for today. And first off, I gotta say like, I, this is Gillen, so I really, my expectations are high. Uh, Apocalypse holding a woman in, on a leash. Yeah, it's not great. I just know we're better than this. I get, even to do like a psychically, you know, even if it's coming out of his head, if you have to say like, the, you know, he has that power to contain the, I love that, that's great, whatever. Physically on a leash with a chain we just all gotta know better i have to we say all... how much i love out of context this caption of the desert is also the home of satan <laughs> i have no context for that yeah I don't that actually believe makes me it really is. happy i don't Kill, believe it is me... the home of satan that makes me very happy that that is where you are with it because uh, i think that sort of silliness is maybe a little bit what's needed here uh, because I do think this is offensive. Uh, <laughs> hashtag almost saying we're keeping that. That's ours from now on, and we will be using it. Uh, I do think that image is offensive, and I think everybody should have thought better of it. Gillen should know better as you know the incredible creative force that he is. Somebody at editorial should have said something. Whatever. Um, this is also very over the top melodramatic serious, uh, and so thank you, Kevo, for pulling in the levity that i need to not be super like <gasps> about this but also that the book needs to not be really up itself so i gotta be real what is avengers twilight gonna be in a world where we have avengers and like there's also that other book like uh avengers Beyond inc Oh, Avengers Inc. right which replaced avengers beyond which yeah yeah which we we quit because and then we have original X-Men, which uh, the point of this being we don't like Greg Land, guys. Well, I do want to say, though, something we've even said on the show is Greg Land's work has improved and we recognize yes. that it sells books. Yes. At the end of the day, it sells books. I guess that's true. And again, there is that thing. I'm doing it now because I, everybody I talk to doesn't like Greg Land. But Nico is pointing out the 100% truest thing, which is that those books sell. And yep. even if I can't find a person to talk to in my world that likes Greg Land, I'm clearly missing something. So I should never get up here and say... Marvel, stop using Greg Lamb. We clearly don't like him because that's incorrect. Somebody clearly does. I just personally don't, and neither do people in my circle. You know, and that's in part because uh, we've run in like a really gay circle. Yeah. And, you know, I have, I have tons of requisite breeder friends, but one of the things that I mean by that is sort of like I lean toward queer interests as a creator and as a reader. It's so, also a very woke circle, which yeah, that's that's another big part of it. So I don't really go toward the uh, booby cheesecake art, and that's a little bit more what a guy like Greg Land is. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the thing I'm faced with now is I don't know what the identity of the Avengers is supposed to be anymore. 
I feel like I keep being told that this is the new core book. This is the new main book. And I just finished this JMS run of Spider-Man and I wound up going into a big Iron Man read instead of doing more Spider-Man. I had no idea that there was like actually a good solid two, three years where Iron Man had two or two to three books because Bendis was writing him. And when it recombined down, I was relieved because I couldn't do it anymore. And I feel like that's where I'm at with Avengers. Avengers has become such a mess. I just can't keep track of those books anymore. And if Avengers Twilight isn't some sort of new paradigm title, I think I'm going to have to pass. But... uh... I mean, on the one hand, I agree. And then on the other hand, I feel like if it is a new paradigm title, is this going to stick? Like, am I getting invested? What's happening here? Uh, do Is there a plan? Uh, Chip Zdarsky, brilliant guy, gave us a phenomenal Daredevil run with a lot of planning that it just feels like is gone now. And Nico and I were talking about this the other day. Uh, because I, I just feel like I don't know what happened with that book. Uh, it really ended. It felt like it was halved, like it was supposed to be another 30 some odd issues. And he was just told, no, you have to make it half. Uh, so I just, you know, I, I hope Avengers Twilight is a, is a paradigm shift coming off of Aaron's run with this McKay run in between. It just sort of feels like, what did you guys want me to do? in this in-between time before you let up to Twilight. And that's what I say. Like, I feel bad for Jed McKay because it did always sort of feel like I don't think McKay is going to be the guy that they are giving the new, like, the Avengers will never be the same. And they certainly weren't advertising it that way. So picking up issue one, I'm thinking to myself, okay, am I reading about to read six issues before I get exactly this announcement? And that's... I think even part of where I feel about a lot of the Marvel line right now, I keep being told this is the relaunch. Now, you know, when we're talking about solo characters, there's not a lot of characters that are mainstays of the Avengers throughout all three of these runs, the way someone like Captain Marvel is. And Captain Marvel, as a character in a big team book, has to keep reacting to status quo. And when Kelly Thompson wrote a 50 issue run of Captain Marvel, that's a really great way to have one clear voice, one defining way to roll this character through teams. Yes. And then we got the short and the senti. I think it's two issues or three issues. Dark Tempest. Yeah. yeah. Which is like, like kind of a one off. Yeah. What's that? Just kind yeah. of like a palate cleanser. And yeah. so then we lead into this Alyssa Wong run where this I minorly redesigned costume, this minorly reworked look, I think ultimately the mistake winds up being Avengers is relaunching three times in, you know, two years. Not that it's relaunching, but, you know, Avengers Assemble yeah. got a lot of attention. This is like three major launch points in two years, maybe four if you count the uh, incorporated beyond uh, Avengers above the pale, whatever the hell it was called. Whereas Captain Marvel had one title, 50 issues, and then two issues. And now this big launch by, they're touting it as fresh off of Deadpool, Alyssa Wong. Did I miss where Deadpool's over? I mean, yeah, basically, yes. Like that. <laughs> um, the fact that Deadpool got 10 issues, and I think it might be 12 when all said and done, um, is actually kind of a, we thought, five. 
and we kept being surprised when we got new solicits for it because everybody gets minis minis now and Alyssa Wong of all people is somebody that we have seen get minis that we felt like could have been at the very least maxis if not just like straight up ongoings and so the fact that Deadpool got as many issues as it did was actually amazing uh this is partially exciting to me because I think I was just thinking today that Alyssa Wong's Deadpool is sort of to me Grant Morrison's Emma Frost. Like I will now never look at Deadpool without the voice that Alyssa Wong gave him. Uh, that is how I read him now, and that is how I see him in the same way. What? And with them? Oh wait. <laughs> yes, I actually almost did the same thing, but that's the thing. Part of it is that like Deadpool became a much more expanded character and in that, you know, in the same way that Morrison made it so that the voice of Emma Frost to me went from being the lady in Pride of the X-Men, that sort of raspy thing. Uh, when the Morrison run took over, she was Madonna when Madonna had the British accent. And that has never stopped being who she is. I started throwing in Jenna Maroney saying camera uh, when 30 Rock came out. But that's essentially, that is always Morrison made my Emma Frost going forward. And I see that happening now with Deadpool. So part of me is really excited about this Captain Marvel run because I think Alyssa Wong is one of the greats. But we have this presentation that makes me spend more time worrying about not just my investment, but also will I get to see the fruits of this incredible creator or will this be a thing where it's like they do all this great writing and work and then the next person just comes along and does whatever the heck they want or a movie is announced so things change, which, you know, that's the other thing with Captain Marvel. We've got the Marvels coming out soon, so there's a whole other factor set of factors in play. Well, and you know, when we think about like women in the Marvel universe who are clearly defined and have like a specific story, like Captain Marvel, I, you know, even Captain Marvel has been used so many ways in the last couple of years, like anything from giant size, Ms. Marvel, to civil war two, you know, she's been really through the ringer. So then when you get to a character like Yelena Belova, Yolanda Baloney, look, I wound up loving Yolanda Baloney. Yeah. Yelena Baloney. Um, she's my favorite member of the Star Trek Voyager cast, um, Yelena Balana. Um, but I kill all the time. I, <laughs> oh, she's God. doing some wild interviews right now, by the way. Uh, yeah, uh, Roxanne. Yeah. Um, oh, she, is, she will not yeah. be coming back to direct any well, Star Trek episodes. <laughs> but I've been, I've been reading them and it's because she's like, there's no room for me to grow as a creator because that was part of my life then. And I'm really excited about my future. And that's my Star Trek family. And if they ever had a project for me, I'd be so into it. But you know, she's the Amy Joe Johnson of Star Trek. So, you know, when I think, yeah, right. When I think about White Widow, I think about where Yelena Belova started. She started as the uh, short-term Marvel Knights replacement for Natasha Romanov well before Natasha Romanov was like this thing in the Marvel Universe as a result of, uh, you know, not yet having the film exposure, but also she was for a while just like um, daddy's ready to go fuck kitten. 
and she really didn't have a consistent personality. So they come up with this other Black Widow. They think she's going to be popular. She doesn't really go anywhere. Bendis winds up quickly pivoting her to villain in early New Avengers. And uh, she's just kind of been bouncing around forever. But Florence Pugh's performance of Yelena Belova is just so unbelievably lovable instantly. You have to like actively work to root against that character with the depth she provides. So between Florence Pugh bringing the character to life so beautifully in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and frankly, the done dirty she got done by Bendis when he decided, oh, she didn't work out as a new Black Widow. Villain she is. This new run on White Widow I want to be excited for it. But in the same way that we're talking about, sometimes these announcements reek of don't pay attention to what's coming out now. We know it's subpar. This announcement kind of reads like, do you like movies? We all do. And I I don't know. I'm excited for this, but I'm excited for it in spite of it. Kevo, does this do anything for you as a very MCU person? Um... Like, not even, because I know you're, like, not always, even for characters you love, you're not like, I need to read their comic run. But more like, right. does its existence make you feel anything about, like, the overall character of Yelena, like, the direction for the Thunderbolts movie, any of that stuff? My existence in the void. Exactly. Uh, yeah. No, it... Hello, Definitely, I'm definitely, at the very least, intrigued to see what direction this will be you're excited uh, for us to tell you what happens in the issues yeah kind of <laughs> and and to see what marvel comics wants us to make of yelena right now yeah. and how that will probably reflect in films and whatnot because i love what we've seen so far but we have no real idea what to expect everything is so chaotic right now uh i would love to see more of her from what we've seen so far but what if this is weird now? Who knows? So, oh, I see you've got a deep breath on. Are you a, so do you, Yelena Belov? Are you kind of, you know what I mean? Are Yelena Belover? Are you an um, Oscar Mayer guy? Are you into Yelena Baloney? I do love a baloney moment. Uh, I, I mean, Florence Pugh, uh, game changer of an actor for a character. Pew, 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 pew. Um, just what a phenomenal choice and uh if we're gonna lose scarlett johansson in the way that we did which i did think was frigy misogynistic and no, weird no, no. uh go ahead say scarlett johansson it maybe will justify i did just say johansson i don't know what the hell is the matter with me I'm no 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 Shut up. It you know what roles. uh yes two days ago was talk like a pirate day so it's actually scarlett johansson Yo yo Hansen and a bottle of Rumson. Yeah. Um. So you know she has to go, which I really don't think you can bring her back after that. And I think it would be hacky to do so. Uh, Florence Pugh in that role owned it. Um. And I sent Kevo an image because I also just want to point out we didn't I didn't uh, put this on our list, but this is absolutely in the mix. Uh, this Thunderbolts run that's coming. Which, that... Can you fucking believe that's where Shang-Chi is going and yet there is no book for... What's his name? Trenenbulge? Um, 
His brother? Are you talking about his brother? No, the hot guy from uh, the new Thunderbolts we loved. Star Spangle or whatever. Oh, Guts and oh, Glory. Guts, Guts and Glory, yeah. I mean, they just gave up on those Thunderbolts, which there we go again. We got a setup for the Thunderbolts that tied into Marvel con- Comics continuity because these were the good guy version of Wilson Fisk's Thunderbolts that he created to kind of patrol Manhattan. There were just a lot of stuff in the works. So, but we had this new Thunderbolts group, five-issue mini, totally fine. Didn't think we were going to get more from that series but it did set up a bunch of cool stuff and a bunch of cool characters and reminded us that luke cage is now a superhero in wilson fisk's position running a very superheroic manhattan and that can have all kinds of crazy stuff going on and now we have just completely hard right turned which of course i get that thunderbolts the book should exist now to help promote the movie but then what would we doing with that great team with hawkeye and photon and the purple uh one of the purple kids jeez there's a lot of them uh guts persuasion. and glory what, persuasion thank you um what a great team and that was a fun book uh that wretched little monster he was great too uh you know it, what a bummer to lose that and just to have this now contextless as you said, do you like movie version of the Thunderbolts that is just there to confuse? Well, and I actually think it even ties in a little bit to something we were saying before that I'm really like, I'm, I'm really glad came up and that I really like came up in this regard. When you say that that version of Thunderbolts, what were they even doing? I think they were trying to tie into the films and they were told at some point a billion years before the pandemic that Hawkeye might leave the Thunderbolts. And then it became Kate Bishop might be on the Thunderbolts because of Florence Pugh instead. And I think that was meant to reflect a version of the Marvel Cinematic Universe we're never going to see. And so now what do we do with it? We just got to kill it. We got to get rid of it. We can't really deal with it. We can't really talk about it. And, you know, that's kind of even how I felt a little bit about kind of like the treatment of Thanos overall in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I was feeling very much like Marvel had no real love left for Thanos as a character. And when I heard that Christopher Cantwell, who you either love this guy or you hate this guy, there does not seem to be a lot of room for any other opinion on the Internet for this guy. Uh, I think he's fine. His Iron Man uh, has been a lot of fun to read. I've really enjoyed it. But um, end of the day, Thanos taking on a new version of the Illuminati that's like two-thirds of the Illuminati, but not really. Look, until Emma Frost, Tony Stark, Loki, and like Thanos all start stripping and it's the Illuminati, I'm not really interested in any new take on that title. Um no, really, it's got to involve Blair Waldorf, or I'm just not interested. Hot, 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 hot stones. <laughs> Who would you cast Leighton Meester, present-day Leighton, Leighton Meester, in the MCU as? Actual? Yeah, come on. Adult Jean Grey. Okay. I think I mean, Leighton Meester can do anything. I'm like just a really big fan of the actress, and I think yeah. her personal story is incredible. Uh, I love her music. Uh, I think she's a great singer. Uh I think there is no role I wouldn't put in front of her. Um, you know, and that's how I feel about Maisie Williams. So um, that I felt that her turn on Doctor Who was kind of dry. Uh, and that's even how I feel about what's her name? Um, Brand's dick doesn't work. 
Sansa. Um, what's yeah, her name? As as Jean. Sophie Turner. Uh, Thank you so Sophie much, Turner. Sophie Turner. Sophie I actually her. thought Robbie's she was sister. Great. Yeah, <laughs> I thought she was great. I yeah. thought that she. I really. I'm trying to be nice about this. The worst part of that film was certainly not Sophie Turner's wonderful turn as Jean Grey. No, she, she didn't write it. Everything she yeah. could with a yeah. bag of shit script. I mean, frankly, so did Jessica Chastain. Like that's how. Uh, Un ungood that movie was. Jessica, Jessica Chastain didn't know her character. Acted her ass off. Muck. Right. She thought she, she was still uh, playing Lalandra till the day the movie came out. Right. Uh, so I mean, I got yeah. That's there are a lot of real talents that get brought into the fold, and it's really a bummer to see how certain people crash and burn. Um, um, yeah. I don't know that I will be able to find a visual for the thing that I am thinking of. But Do you, you want to look while I monologue for a second? Yes, go for it. Go for it. Okay. Uh, I actually, I loved that Cantwell future Namor book. Oh, yeah. Um. Oh, gosh. Namor yeah, Dark was... Shores or something. Yeah, um, it sounded like that's... a Fox uh, a Fox sexy drama in the early 2000s. Yeah, uh, post-apocalyptic. And it really felt like kind of a farewell to uh, Atlantean, white, European Namor, uh, which now maybe I'm taking back because where has Namor been? Uh, where is his comic equivalent? Why aren't we seeing any... Uh, talks about that character in the MCU. Oh, Huge well, bummer. Let's just wait till we get to the Hickman discussion about this new Ultimate Universe, and then I can't trust that we're not getting a White Miles Morales. There you go. Uh, we will. Okay, be I'm in ready. A second. Okay, go. Uh, Nico bringing up Thanos immediately made me think of the Billy Club episode where we talked about a lot of the news that had come out of a D23 event, and one of those being uh, an attraction that was going to have Thanos as the centerpiece. So, uh, in terms of synergy, in terms of bulking up the character, oh, seeing that huh, they're doing Kevo. more with the character in the comics, I'm thinking of the synergy with stuff like this. And look who's right year. there in the left, almost at the corner, freshman year Spider-Man, who yeah. is about to get his uh, debut. Animated huh. series, yep. You've got Daredevil right above and behind him. You have an entire collaboration of Captain America's charging yep. you've got captain america you've got miss america you've got sam cap and you've got uh -huh. um, we talked about it on billy club because you have daredevil over here right over thanos's shoulder and as a matter of fact that's even all the way on the left that's the green armor steve rogers from the what if yeah oh yep yep then he's still weakling but he loves what's her name peggy um wow kevo genius uh Right. I think I think it very well could be the start of a low and slow campaign to be like, hey, Thanos has always been our guy. Like, that's our and, and one of the one ifs is like, what if somebody else had fought Thanos? Yeah. So, uh, yeah. you know, I think that is to say that Marvel doesn't trash these things in even a way that that's like respectful where they're like, we're just done. We're not coming back. The trashing is always like, we're now going to ignore you and not really treat you well until we need you again. Uh, and with so many characters and so much story potential, I do get how stuff can fall through cracks, get, get pushed. What is this? What? Guys, if you change one letter, it goes from Thanos to thanks. 
hate you. Cut him out. I know what I'm doing with the rest of my week. <laughs> um, Thanks. Thanks. You got to make sure to get an explanation Thanks. point in there, too. Yeah. Um, that like a really a, cute cartoony one that looks like a balloon. That would be a great multiversal thing. Just like an excruciatingly deadly kind person uh, that is like, I'm going to fight this dick Thanos. I'm getting rid um, of every mean person. Yeah. Um, Thanos, you know, Marvel still owns Thanos. Now they want to use him. Okay, we're getting this. I... Thanos, you're welcome. I could be excited for for this. I think, you know, I either love a book that Cantwell does or hate it. I don't love or hate him. Um, he can well. He, he can very well. He may um, very well, yeah. And, and but, you know, that Namor book ultimately was an alternate reality that we're not ever going to. Uh, so great story, but, like, irrelevant. I sort of feel like, is this what's happening here? Because I don't feel like infrastructurally we are set up for Thanos to do big moves that matter in the Marvel Universe. I believe they've said that's what this is, though. I mean, okay, but okay. here's my problem. Sure, 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 sure. Kevo, can you please zoom in on the gentleman who looks like a member of the Misfits cosplaying the cast of Dead Presidents in the upper left corner behind Thanos? That's crossbones. That is despair. Oh, let me see what I can do. It's oh, despair. you're right. I'm dumb. That's definitely despair. You're why not would it be dumb. Crossbones? That's why I'm actually kind of like, it just looks like, or maybe it's death. Maybe I'm mistaken. Yeah, and it's that death. could definitely be death. But or like, it's, you know, a guy who has a realistic Punisher skull because that's his gimmick. Actually, maybe it's like some sort of like space dark Nova fire. And like yeah. there's tons of characters. You know, you think you know every character that matters. I... I think I know everything about the Phoenix because I think I know everything. JK hashtag. I know nothing, but like, I think I, I am a person who's read most of the Phoenix's appearances and I have a large repository of those experiences. Vuck appears in one or two issues. I had to do homework to recognize the character. Yeah. You know? you did. So there's things that matter to people that are these minor characters, right? Kevin, would you do me a favor? And would you, excuse me, would you zoom in on the gravestone at the bottom of the cover? Uh, I would love to see what name it says, right? Let me bring it up a little closer. Marie Collins. So I'm really curious to know some of what we are going to be in for with this uh, title, because that says gone, but we hold on. I'm in a position where are you asking me if I'm rooting for there to be a Christopher Cantwell Thanos title? No. Because I think there should be a Christopher Cantwell X-Men title. And let it be weird. Let it be the new Excalibur. It actually takes place on an island where they run a lighthouse media station. And they get up into all wacky hijinks because Vanisher can't stop, I don't know, chronically masturbating in the bathroom. I don't know. But put Ew. Christopher Cantwell on. Oh, no, Vanisher can be drawn pretty hot. So put Christopher Cantwell on a book where I think it's going to have direct impact. But something like a Thanos title... I'm not saying that somebody like Donnie Cates and Jim Starlin have not had massive effect on the Marvel Universe, but it often feels like their effect on the Marvel Universe is editorially mandated, and the things that they came up with that weren't part of the bigger editorial picture 
don't wind up sticking. I'm very excited to see Christopher Cantwell and the return of Thanos in the Marvel Universe, but the idea that this might give him his launch point to be a superstar in the Marvel Universe, the likes of a Jed McKay, a Chip Zdarsky, or a Jason Aaron, this doesn't feel like it's it. Yeah, I I can't really disagree. Um, and I don't know if it's a good thing if it turns out that it is. Uh, Great point. I don't like when someone I love is known for something I don't love them being known for. And that it's confusing, like that it is part of this weird expectation setting and like missing of the mark when it comes to expectation setting that has been like my big complaint since I even started speaking on this show is just like I never know what to expect and not in that way of like oh you never know what cool thing is coming next it's more like I never know what oh, to expect God. um and this does not look or feel like Cantwell's next big step but if it turns out that's what it is, I don't know if that's a good thing. Because while I would be really happy for him, and while I would hope that it would lead to other great books, I don't know if I see the setup here just sort of amidst all of this noise about Avengers Twilight, about the fall of the House of X and the rise of the powers of X, all this stuff that's coming up. If this is supposed to be a huge step for this guy... And a really big important book in the Marvel Universe. I don't know that I'm going to remember to read it. I completely agree. And you know I think part of the problem for me is Thanos isn't something I visually care about. He really does kind of look like menacing grimace. And like you know Burn. there's this image going around that evidently Batman and Superman are going to fight their kingdom come equivalents in World's Finest 20. When you ask me what, like, a chunky muscle man should look like in comics, yeah, it's Alex Ross's World's Finest Superman. Uh, Kingdom Come, World's Finest Superman. I I think there's a lot to be said for um, different iterations of characters being different kinds of cool and sexy. And uh, just to talk about how, like, you know, Josh Brolin added a sexiness to Thanos that I don't associate with the comic Thanos. I just want to say sometimes they really up the sexy on a version of a character like they do with Cap Wolf. I'm kidding. Um, Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos. This almost bothers me. Cap Wolf is a thing that happened in the 1980s and it was cute then. It's something they've returned to here and there. Uh, Nick Fury and the Howling Commandos was the term for how, you know, Nick and his team of uh, badass uh, warriors during world war ii in about 2005 marvel tried nick fury and the howling commandos which was a team of monsters that worked for shield and it starred cap wolf uh essentially as the nick fury stand-in and now they're just doing it again but they're calling it cap wolf and the howling commandos uh i i'm not trying to be weird or gross i do think they're kind of trying to capitalize on like you know furry and pup play and like i think yeah. they do like the idea that anthropomorphic cap could sell some books and seeing if a realized kind of sexy yeah i, I can see how somebody who uh, you know applies these features would think this is hot in a way that they're not doing with like a beta ray bill they're not like trying to court that horse android market you know too late i'm already into it Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Stormbreaker, this. But I think Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos actually 
maybe proves and points to a difficulty with the Marvel release schedule that I'm really starting to have. Our last major Marvel update episode, we talked about JMS's Captain America relaunch and how excited I was for that and how that felt like something that Marvel was doing to get somebody like me back in the door. I'm not saying that I think Cap Wolf and the Howling Commandos is going to represent a major point of competitive canon for Captain America by JMS, but I am saying it just feels like one too many fucking things. Like, if I go to the store and I buy Captain America, Cap Wolf, alphabetically, is going to be right after it on the shelf. Fuck. Um, I will also say I think it's a little bit of spooky season stuff. But um, then, then a one shot, not a mini. This is gonna yeah, run I mean, I don't till disagree. February. Issue five is gonna come out on Valentine's Day. Eat your heart out. Um, Some I, people like that. It's Stephanie Williams writing it, which I'm stoked about. Mm. Uh, seeing a uh, woman creator on a male protagonist book is always. Book. Oh yeah, exactly. It's always a good thing to me because like we see women too infrequently anyway. And then a lot of the time it is, we have a woman here writing a woman book. So don't yell at us. And I'm looking to move beyond that to women just show up and are great writers and get to write whatever is good and available. So this is like halfway there uh, because maybe this is not the best property for a talent like Stephanie Williams, but also maybe this was her pitch and maybe this was uh, like something she really wanted to do, in which case, fantastic. And I will be really interested to see. But I do see what you're saying. Uh, you know, maybe not even. Um, maybe it's a, a weekly mini. You know what I mean? Maybe this is a, a Halloween four issue um, that's just out for the month of October. There, are, if it, it, I don't if I'm making Philomena's just woke up eyes, but like, yeah. <laughs> That's oh my god! A weekly horror mini in October. That's if I'm trying to think of like every hour, that could save the yeah. world. If I'm trying to think of like what's what the deal is here, because I don't think you're wrong. Like I do think there's a degree to which it's like, I don't know. Maybe this character appeals to somebody, so let's see what we can do. Um, part of me applauds the experimentation. But again, we're back to noise and expectations. Am I looking at Cap Wolf to be a member of Avengers Inc.? Like, what's happening here? Or am I going to see this one series, think that was great, and then it just gets dogpiled on by yeah. other stuff that I think is great, but is never going anywhere? And how much of that are you expected to take in without yeah. being allowed something that you can start to actually build a relationship with? exactly and what can i even like even if i'm being generous and saying okay like this is just going to be a one and done thing for the next five ten years back in the day you kind of it was pretty easy to bookmark like in the 90s you could bookmark ideas and books and characters and think i really love that one i can't wait for them to come back and then it would happen 10 sometimes 20 years later uh you know finally people like hickman are giving characters like husk their due in you know house of x and powers of 10 um but now the amount of content and so much of it by great writers and creators 
I don't know if I'm going to remember Cap Wolf in 10 years when some hotshot writer is like, I loved that character and I'm about yeah. to do them justice. I don't know that that's this is that to... already. This right, exactly. The... It's, yeah. And so it's not going to so remember it's... the justice doing. It's and it's leapfrogging now because, yeah, it's happening era to era exactly. to era. And it's just like if if I see a Daydreamers book, that was like one of few three issues uh, that came out back in that day. Like we were not inundated with them. And so I've always beloved the the Daydreamers and thought that would be really fun to bring back. But in the last five, ten years, I have forgotten way more than I remember that was great that when somebody brings back it's not going to have the effect uh that we used to get from pulling characters out of 20 years of obscurity that's actually how i feel about the typhoid fever event that we covered by uh jay mcleod chapman philip clay mcleod chapman clay mcleod 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 Go read go Troy McClure. Uh, please go read it. It is so excellent. I feel so bad. We had the opportunity to interview this incredible guy. Uh, his work is wonderful. And, you know, Typhoid Fever was three issues, but it was a lot of fun. It was very cool. It felt high energy and special. Gang War does not feel high energy or special in any way. Why did I have to go to Tommy Wiseau possessed by Telly Monster? I'll tell you why. Because uh, the room is on the street. No, but because also I counted up that there's like 23 issues of this motherfucking event and motherfucking fuck, fuck, fuck like that angry. Don't monetize this episode. It's like six am, books. It's actually uh, between pre tie ins and actual issues. It's eight issues of Spider-Man. It is 12 issues of gang war related minis by themselves. It's four issues of Miles Morales. It's a one shot special. Plus, it's then a three issue uh, Deadly Hands of Kung Fu miniseries. It's like 22 issues of this event. And like, but I'm trying to think of how many titles because there's a Luke Cage oh, one, there's yeah, a Spider like Woman one. Seven. Yeah. Yeah. And for some of them, they're actually launch points for new books like Spider Woman. But for Luke Cage, Daredevil, this is like, I'm so glad about that. Like this Daredevil female title tie-in, you know, just to be clear, female, I mean, the lady Daredevil, Electra Daredevil, as opposed to, you know, Matt. Which is both, now a problem we're starting to have. Yeah, they're both totally, I don't know. Okay, hold on. Is it a problem we're starting to have? I'm a Green Lantern guy. I just think you clarify which one it is. Like, it's Green Lantern. Oh, it's Jess. It's Green Lantern. Oh, it's Guy. It's Green Lantern. Oh, it's John. These aren't hard to do, so it could be, oh, it's Daredevil. Oh, it's Elektra. Like, but she's still Daredevil. And why does it matter then that she's Daredevil? Because the name Elektra sells 22,000 copies. But the name Daredevil sells 50,000 copies, no matter which Daredevil is on the cover. So you have to call it Daredevil. You can't call it Elektra. It's easier to get fans to say it's Daredevil. Oh, it's the Elektra Daredevil. Than it is to get people to buy a book called electra so for me i'm a green lantern guy there's always eight people with the damn name so like it never really bothers me right this event i'm just i'm completely and i'm so sad about it i'm completely checked out of zeb wells as spider-man 
I genuinely do not like that the current arc, I don't know if you're caught up at the moment, but like the current arc is Sin Eater who ate all of the sins out of Norman Osborn has put them into Spider-Man. And now Spider-Man is doing dark and brooding things like he would with the symbiote without the symbiote. He's just like hurting people and burying people alive. And like, I love the dark places that a guy like Zeb Wells can go while still remembering how to be funny. Like, you know, that's the Robin Williams of it all or whatever. But I would gladly give up a little bit of the fart humor to get a little bit less of the I've buried Craven alive because the souls of billions of dead people reside inside of me right now. That's a little bit more my speed. If you could have it be a little bit more like, haha, can you believe he just got punched in the nuts? And then also, I knocked Craven unconscious and left him on the raft to be handled by a maximum security prison. Not because I don't want violence. No, Wolverine should chop people to pieces and then throw them into some sort of weird villain gumbo. But that's not Spider-Man. And so when you try to elevate Spider-Man to this identity of a dark title, of a Max title, of an over-the-edge 90s Marvel book, even a guy like Zeb Wells, who can do these things with such a plum, with such finesse, who inspire me to be a better writer, I just struggle at times because... His entire run is marred by disharmony with the Marvel Universe, and Gang War seems to be a pinnacle event months off that just means he's not leaving. Yeah, um, this has been a long run, and it's... And here's another thing. It's difficult to make sense of long runs in a world where basically nobody gets them. And... You know, what a 50, great point. 50 issues of Kelly Thompson's Miss Marvel. I'm very glad that Kelly Thompson got that. But when I realized it was one of the longest running books at Marvel at the time, I kind of looked at the landscape and I just felt like not in any way that that wasn't deserved. But if it was, there were some other titles that I felt did not deserve to be uh, cut up the way they were a, a great example being x uh, excalibur um shang chi yeah uh splitting daredevil into two runs and having the woman Devil's without Rain fear being its own separate thing when the woman without fear should have just been three more issues yep. can i tell you if the daredevil had just ended at like issue 70 and it hadn't been two runs and there hadn't been the three issues yep. and then the fucking 14 issues yep. and like a one fuck that yeah yeah, I completely agree. Um, so packaging matters. Packaging does matter because we. This is this is the thing about the facts that the fans don't have. I do get that this is about sales and number one sell and number thirteens historically aren't doing so great. Number sixes even have a tough time. You find me a clock or a calendar with a thirteenth hour or a thirteenth month. And then I'll give you a 13th issue of a title. I'm J. Jonah Jameson. I work all the time. I live at the Daily Bugle. Jokes, jokes, Ooh, jokes. She'd be great as J. Jonah, too. <laughs> she Just would so be amazing. <laughs> we are talking I, about Bianca Del Rio as J. Jonah Jameson, and I'm obsessed with this idea. <laughs> I will be putting this together, the pitch, very soon. Um, oh, my God. The twinky gay little Spider-Man she has. It's that It's that one, the gay one now that we have, uh, who I call Webulon Weaverberg. Um, that's his name, but it's not his name. Um, close enough. I, 
I am down for a world of like 60 issue one shots. Um, and then, and then that story is just done. It's in that one shot. And then we move on to the next thing. I am down for some minis. I am down for some maxis and I am down for some ongoings, but it's, I need to understand what I'm getting into at issue one. I cannot live in this world where I see a great title. There's no indication that it's only going to be five issues. And then it is. And at issue three, it's announced that the follow-up story is coming out with a completely new name. Maybe a new creative team. Who knows? I was about to say, maybe a new creative team. Um, I That... It was Teeny Howard all the way through with Excalibur was fantastic, but every time we got towards the end, I was really not sure that we were getting Teeny Howard back, and it put me on edge the whole time because she was doing kind of sensitive work uh, and very queer work, and my biggest fear is that they were going to be like, don't worry, Jerry Duggan will finish this out. And then Stephanie Phillips finished out Rogue and Gambit and did a wonderful job, Yeah, but that's not necessarily Teeny's vision. Right. And this is the first Luke Cage mini we've had since that Luke Cage mini that got canceled. Kevin, yes. can you please uh, zoom in on Luke Cage, who I just want to point out, I made a comment about like when we talk about like the way densely muscled men should be drawn, I liken Superman to like a really pinnacle version. I just think that like Marvel historically doesn't really do uh, black men or women the same kind of justice they do white men and women. Uh, like, please don't even get me started on the quality of coloring someone say, who that's is a huge a part Asian of the or uh, Latinx or any other minority. But when I look at how Luke Cage is drawn, he's always drawn with pride, with a thickness and a fullness that doesn't look unearned. He is drawn with the strength of a man who knows how to how to work, how to save the day, who also looks stunning in a suit, ready to be at a desk. Luke Cage, you know, I made some pot shots a little bit earlier at the quality of Bendis's transformation of the Marvel Universe, but his work on Luke Cage stands the test of time as some of the most important work, while his attempts at advancing the idea of what a black man was in the, Mar in the Marvel Universe wasn't always the most culturally sensitive. It was definitely important to pave the way for the voices that would come along later. At you know, Luke Cage is the mayor of New York City, that we live in a world where uh, the previous mayor was uh, Wilson Fisk and his wife was Mary Walker. And now it's Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. Uh, you know, it turns out you can go uh, from Trump to Obama in reverse. So, uh, <laughs> in like not a bad way, True, <laughs> like that's yeah. really actually kind of fun. It's a beautiful thing to have Luke Cage uh, really have achieved this position that had previously been saved for somebody like Steve Rogers. Somebody like Steve Rogers was the political salvation of a city, of a people's. And now it can be Luke Cage because we no longer fear the idea of a black man wielding power in the Marvel Universe and what good it can do for the quality of people that live there. Just the same way we have a lady daredevil. I just feel really lucky that if I'm not excited about gang war, because there's nothing that really excites me about gang war, I am excited about the pieces of gang war and the way it shows characters like Luke and Electra have come so far from where they were in the nineties when I was like a lonely little white boy loving them. <laughs> I think you make an interesting point because it's not, um, 
I'm not really in love with Spider-Man's gang war storyline in Spider-Man. Um, I, I'm so sorry, Zeb Wells. I think you're amazing. Uh, I've loved so many things that you've written and I love a bunch of stuff in the Spider-Man run. I didn't love the gang stuff when it was Tom DeFalco doing it in and the nineties. you love everything Spider-Girl. I, I mean, it was Spider-Girl was also in the Spider-Man series, but like that was one of my bigger complaints when we covered Spider-Girl. It's just the, the gang stuff doesn't always hit with the spider people especially in this kind of post clone saga world um but i don't hate the street level superheroing and when it's characters like luke cage and daredevil uh i there i see a lot of potential to it the fact that we are getting you know, if a, an Electra Daredevil led book that Luke Cage is getting a book that Spider Woman is launching out of this, there's definitely good stuff coming from it. It just feels like if it had to be out of the pages of Spider Man in order to lift it up, are we saying that these types of like launch points can only happen if they get enmeshed with another more popular character who then becomes kind of responsible for shouldering the burden, but will not get any of the blame. If I, it doesn't no, go right. I refuse because what you're telling me is Marvel has decided wingman strategy is how it works. Do you have a friend who's a six to look at, but an eight in bed well, just pair them up with their worst friend who's a nine to look at. Events sell big titles. So, you know, when you've got number ones that you need to sell and you need to sell Spider-Woman, just attach that Spider-Woman to that number one that you know is going to sell because it's an event tie-in. So, you know, an event will sell titles. You know, Spider-Woman needs to sell this idea of homogenizing the two into a single entity. I don't know. I, I really want to be, I don't mean to be making so many scary awuga noises. No, we're episode. both doing it. This is, I, this is yeah. a tough discussion. Well, we're entering spooky season, so it's fair. Well, speaking of spooky season, actually, this is a great point because, uh, you know, now that we've gotten past my uncomfortable semi boner for cap wolf, it's a great time to, uh, touch on some spooky stuff a year ago. Crypt of Shadows launched Volume 3 with a number one that made us think that this was going to be the year of Elsa Bloodstone. And to talk to us a little bit about the year that wasn't the year of Elsa Bloodstone, uh, though, to be really real with you guys, that Disney colorized uh, Werewolf by Night with a digital remaster and then put it on Hulu. They really believe in this project. Elsa Bloodstone is going to be the hero of the next 10 years. Um, but to have somebody who cares a whole lot more passionately, not just cerebrally, uh, this character lives in his heart forever. Jojo, do you? Oh, sorry, Jonah. Jonah. Um, that's jo your Jimmy. that's your Jonah. creepy Jonah. Your Crypt of Shadows name. Um, do you, Jojo doesn't sound scary, right? So, um, uh, what do you think, like Jojo? Ooh, that was good. 
right? Um, tell us where we can find you. Tell us what you think about Crypt of Shadows, what you think about Elsa Bloodstone, if you like spooky stuff. Is the stuff. call coming from in the house? Uh, Do you also make Jiffy Pop, which that was the first time I'd ever seen it? Uh, I, well, I pronounce it Giffy Pop. Uh, that's number one. <laughs> Remove him! <laughs> number Goofy Moms, Goof Gif, okay? Oh, I'm back. He's Hi, back. everyone. I'm back from the dead. Um, I've risen... Jed. <laughs> the Jed. Uh, yes, the Jed. Uh, hi, I'm Jonah. You can follow me over at any social at Peak Jonah. That's P E A K. Um, Crypto Shadows was weird. Crypto Shadows was a very weird anthology series that was essentially Marvel saying, hey, what if we just did American Horror Story, but with our characters? And it was what they did in the seventies. Where do you think Ryan Murphy it? Where Dracula kind of just hosted it and told us all these spooky stories. It was kind of a little bit like, uh, "Are you afraid of the dark?" Um, Tales of the Crypt. Yeah, you know, Crypt Keeper. Oh my god, I look like I'm spooky. Oh my god, I look like the Crypt Keeper. One of my favorite lines from I just remember that commercial, the remake of Freaky Friday. If Anna Nicole Smith had had a better sense of humor, she would have wound up with the Crypt Keeper for sure. He's loaded. He's old. He he's got a great sense of loaded. humor. He must got to be he, loaded. That he, franchise. He has, he has a residence. <laughs> I'm saying she needed a better one. It's a mausoleum. Maybe he owned that mausoleum. Um, speaking of mausoleums and people who live inside of it, Elsa Bloodstone was in one of these stories, um, but it wasn't an Elsa Bloodstone story. Uh, it was very much more specifically a Spider-Man story where, again, Spider-Man became Man-Spider and Elsa Bloodstone had to solve it. I The story itself was fine. I personally, uh, the art wasn't for me. I thought the art was a little... Um, not the style I typically like or go for from looking at a book for the art. Um, but the story itself was fine, and I was happy she was there. It'd be weird if she wasn't. I thought this was going to be much more of a, ooh, Marvel's putting all their spooky people together for a team-up of spooky Halloweenness, and they're going to do horror things together. But no, it was not that at all. And... It's not that. Well, I just want to say, uh, this cover is very sexy. This cover is hot. Everybody looks really good. The striations on, like, every body is stunning. But, you know, as to JoJo's point, the interiors are going to feature five to six different artists showcasing different styles. The cover is beautiful, but the cover of an anthology rarely belies the individual pages within. So, you know, caveat emptor. Uh, another problem is they didn't do enough due diligence to kind of ensure that you kind of know who everybody is. There were, I think, two stories that I think really I was not familiar with like the first one with the with the ghost and the haunting place and then like sets the spirit free i have no idea who that was i don't think it was brielle um, <laughs> it was not the daughter of blade and it wasn't it, it was some i don't i still don't know who it is i haven't looked it up but it was just one of those things of oh it would have been nice to know maybe who who is being featured in this story who is this character supposed to be because you're kind of just thrusting me in, uh, upon this you know story told by dracula um, who's not living anywhere nice. I Dracula actually should be living in a much nicer place, but I guess... They're in Chernobyl. 
listen to this dracula's remax agent over here all right talk to me elsa bloodstone high ponies forever uh yeah high ponies forever uh, what are you, what are you talking about her <laughs> gave my opinion of her story uh you know i ultimately was uh really disappointed that she didn't make the cover of crypt of shadows number four uh, volume number four, number one. I just felt like it was a really cool distinction to give her. But, you know, Joj, you've strolled in in a really great point in our discussion, because one of the things we're talking about is sort of the new face of Marvel and how they're trying to make room for it in this new wave. We have skirted something kind of hard to talk about, and I'm glad it's the four of us, because what uh, newer audience members might not realize is when the pandemic hit, uh, what, the world closed on Wednesday or Tuesday and uh, Jonah was here by Thursday. And, uh, you know, well, of course, we're together. He lived with us for like six, six something weeks, eight weeks. And uh, we just kind of made it work. And one of the things that I'm bringing up about that is, you know, I actually found, you know, I met TK, who's, you know, that's my partner. That's a huge part of my life forever uh, during the time of the pandemic. And part of what that means is this was such an amazing point of change for so many people because it changes how our lives work. Changed. Did, did, did. I was trying to say it changed, but it also changes to this day how our lives work because the pandemic simply isn't over. Well, yes, we're out of the national state of emergency. There's still shipping issues. There's still agriculture issues. And part of why I'm bringing all of that up is because I do not believe the comic industry ever for one moment recovered from the state of what happened during the coronavirus pandemic. I think we're still seeing stories kind of trickle out that were meant to come out three and four years ago. Not that the pandemic stretches back that far, but things that had already had slight delays that were pushed back a little bit, then were then pushed back even more. And so part of what that's led to is a disharmony in the Marvel offices where there's things they need to kind of get rid of, things they need to burn off, but fans are not willing to give up Elektra as Daredevil. Just look at the amount of merchandise. Look at the success of the Miles Morales years for Marvel, for Spider-Man. How do you feel about this new uh, push where they're kind of they're resetting everything you know with, you know, fall of the House of X and rise of the powers of 10. Let's be clear. Powers of 10 is never a great thing for X-Men. No. You know, it's funny, but I wonder if I really am going to be curious to see how being prepared for this reaction affects how it continues because... Sometimes not being prepared, not having everything ready creates more demand because they didn't have it immediately. And so you get more worked up. Baby so Yoda's I wonder. Yeah. So sometimes I wonder if uh, being prepared for a good reaction uh, can kind of make people go, oh, you have it already. Oh, well, it wasn't the one I would have wanted. So I'm just going to wait. If you if you don't do something better, that's a great read, Kevo. I really love that. Jonah, People are fickle. Your responses to this uh, fickle friends swim situation. I I think I I have to agree. It's we're in such this a very weird uh, limbo. Pardon the pun of where uh, I think that the comics industry is trying to push themselves in a way that they can kind of corner all markets between, you know, 
animated shows, live action shows, live action movies, you know, producing more comics. And it's, we're coming to a point where I think, I think the ideologies of all of those things are becoming at odds with one another, where neither or any of the mediums can really flourish and succeed because they're too busy trying to cross markets with one another. And I don't know if everything is getting the proper support or the proper, you know, love it really deserves because they're trying to find this unification of all these different things to maximize profits, to maximize viewerships, to maximize sales. At the end of the day, every all this is coming from companies. And what is a company's job at the bottom line is to make money. And I feel like the art in, you know, general art is suffering from this trying to milk as much as they can i can't disagree with you you know i feel kind of torn because like would i say i have close personal friends writing you know major two major i guess it's major five these days books at the moment yeah so does it feel kind of like it's tough because I, I know these people and like I, I talk with them and they say to me, oh, this was not what I wanted it to be. I pitched this character. It was meant to be different. The situation is so rough because we're in a position where we're asked to continuously suspend how we feel about a topic to enable the company to have all of the room it needs to develop the idea completely. With something like Elsa Bloodstone. She was, you know, it's so hard to talk about Warren Ellis, but let's say a problematic psycho genius's idea of how to save cheesecake. And I don't know, writers, artists, they just really loved Elsa Bloodstone. And while it's taken 20 plus years, she's happened. At the same time, you can't make something like an Elsa Bloodstone happen. You had to already know who Ulysses Bloodstone was to give a shit. And then once you did, you had to kind of attach to this new thing. Marvel is taking a big gamble with this new Punisher. I am uniquely attached to Frank Castle, right? Um, I don't know. It's weird to talk about. I love how problematic Frank Castle is because I love to hate him. Notice how I keep not being like, I'm a big Punisher fan. I love Frank Castle. Um, you know, if you've never read it, please do yourself the favor of reading Welcome Back, Frank. It's just 12 of the greatest issues of Marvel Comics of all time. Every problematic, horrifying, anti-gay moment of them, really. And, you know, Garth Ennis has apologized for so many of the mistakes he's made over the years and said if he could write them better, he would. The Punisher is not what is interesting about the Punisher. Frank Castle is what is interesting about the Punisher. Oh my god! I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna buy it. I'm gonna buy it. And that's because I have every Punisher number one kind of ever published. And whew, I have a lot of feelings about this because where Punisher was left off, Jonah, I asked you to come along on that journey with me. I asked you to just read some one shots of where Punisher is now. Magic Punisher. TK, I asked you to do more than that. I asked you to surrender your thoughts as a woke, intelligent, evolved, queer person who is of minority status outside of just your queerness. 
which sort of puts you at odds with everything Punisher stands for. I, I resent this character. I hate this thing. I don't want this to exist. But you know what? Thank you, because now Frank Castle can get a new fucking name. And he'll never have to be Punisher again. He can be Otherworld Man. Weird World Man. Whatever he's become. Demon Slayer. Wait. Fine. I love it. Guys, how do you feel about this new Punisher? I I really clearly have a lot of feelings as a guy who has like four Punisher Omnibuy up on my shelf. Yeah, it's tough. Uh, I... I am now attached to Frank Castle as a model for everything that shouldn't happen. And I think, oh, wow, the, I think the Aaron run did a really good job of showing you how you can have a run of a character who is not a villain in the way that uh you know red skull is a villain but who still you should never root for and who deserves all of the bad things coming to him and he's well, like a, by that token by you know yeah. please correct me where i may be misunderstanding so that i sure. can adjust are you saying that maybe then punisher is analogous to a young apocalypse or maybe is he more analogous to a young magneto I would not really say he is analogous to either one. Kevin, boot um, him from the show. I. It's Frank. The Punisher symbol represents everything that is wrong with vigilantism and that it has been adopted by white supremacists, by people in authority who like to use excessive force, by people who think that they should be the law. Uh, is like one of the horrifying things to happen in comics. Like the to peak comics are horrible. We should get rid of them forever. Uh, yeah. You know, which I don't obviously feel like. But when I see a cop with a Punisher sticker, hey, McCarthy over here, that's sticker me. if you're lucky. Uh, yeah, when I see you know uh, the baseball cap, whatever it is, I think to myself, God, this is so wrong. This is God. They completely missed the message. They got it all wrong. And now, if this character ever does anything positive or good or at the side of Captain America, all of those people say, "See, that's a hero." And the Aaron Run good dealt guys with on both sides exactly. And the Aaron run dealt with a lot of that stuff and made it possible to still have this person be a main character, not be a protagonist, not be a good guy, and allow the reader to really think about what it means to do the things that Frank did. And I also I, just want to say it was really bold the way that they made Madonna one of the supporting characters. Do you remember, I mean, I really was hoping it would it? be. I was hoping it would be Maria's book after. Uh, oh, I'm. You know who I'm. I'm of course referring to. Oh, Madonna, you're referring to the. I'm referring to Madonna's <laughs> breathtaking role as the high priestess of the hand. <laughs> the um, nine hundred year old. It's the hands. That's how you can tell. You got to look at the hands. It's like a dream. Um. God damn it, Nico. Can oh, you unsee it now? It's all I can see. It's it really is it's there. perfect casting. Um that's a great character. Uh her and Akka, those two characters yes. are two of the greatest things that ever happened. Well, and here's another moment ever. where we built up so much stuff 
about the hand that now nobody is using. I don't see this coming up in Saladin Ahmed's run. Uh, but he doesn't, he's not the only one. Other people can use the hand, but like, man, we did some cool hand mythology stuff between Daredevil and Punisher over the last couple of years. And where is it now? I just don't see it. Um, I'm really worried that this dude is a, an attempt by Marvel to get back to the, oh my God. <laughs> it's Madonna. She's perfect. <laughs> She's a perfect. She's That's a model. Yzma. What are you guys talking about? That's Isma. Kill you, <laughs> mean Madonna. In the message where you sent this to me, you even added Madonna. <laughs> Just in case you didn't know, Kevo, that's what was Madonna. happening. I just need to be clear. I saw Madonna on the Drown World Tour. I think that, you know, until roughly Confessions on the Dance Floor, she is the greatest thing that ever happened to pop music we could ever hope for. She is everything so when i say kill you uh hard madonna i mean madonna could kill you hard i think madonna is eternal and immortal and the greatest thing that ever happened to pop music no eternals are a different thing <laughs> you're funny yeah she is one of them um that explains so her much. moral compass exactly uh so i'm really worried this is an attempt by marvel to in some way rehab the punisher brand uh and to have their cake and eat it too, which yes is a stupid metaphor. Why would you have a cake if you can't eat it? Uh, but I don't think I think it's very difficult to reclaim the Punisher logo and brand for complicated anti-heroes, kind of the way we think of Wolverine. And I think an attempt to do it would be really fucking tasteless and gross. And I think that's what this is. And I'm very, very worried about it. Uh, I like Nico. I am okay with Frank being in books. I'm just not okay with Frank being a hero. The last time I saw it was in Asgardians of the Galaxy, and it made me really angry. Um, but I'm okay with Frank showing up and continuing to be punished for being the biggest asshole. Uh, anyway, that's my monologue. Jonah, take yeah. it away. Jonah, you are like the one person. I you are. I'm like, read this Punisher book. It's really good. And you're like, I've read it now. Yeah, the Punisher doesn't do anything for, it for me. I'm a bigger fan of the Pun Finisher. Um, shout out to that Marvel Universe with Spider-Ham. Um, I also like Big Pun. I'm not a player. I just, you know. I crush a lot. Um, but I want to I talk about something that you both talked about, about pushing a new character on people. So, I'm going to tie it back to, to a character we just talked about, where Nico made reference to this. Ulysses Bloodstone was introduced as Ulysses Bloodstone in 1975, and was later killed after only a handful of appearances in 1978. It wasn't until 2004 that we saw the name Bloodstone again, with Elsa Bloodstone number one, and bringing back this idea this character that had four issues and again would not be seen until eight years later to be completely and utterly um have the canon re reimagined re rechange changed to something that is a lot more makes sense in 2012 so we have these large gaps of them trying to and to be fair i don't know I still don't really understand how or why the original Elsa Bloodstone comic came to be, because who would think, hey, this character that had a bunch of handful appearances that's not really notable in any sense, 
let's give him a daughter and a wife and a, at the time mm -hmm. pregnant wife that they later retcon uh and let's have her reassume this mantle only to then have her be dis disappear again for eight years because it did not do well i'm assuming <laughs> uh you know it's at a bad time for marvel and it looked like something it should not look like it visually looked like trouble which nothing should ever look like but they spent this amount of time someone at the marvel office clearly was enough of a bloodstone family fan to reimagine the character and to the character she is now today and try to continually push her in ways where she gets like two appearances a year and that's about it um but that makes sense because ulysses and elsa were essentially blank slate characters there really isn't anything to them the mantle of bloodstone doesn't mean anything and that's to a larger point the mantle of a character doesn't mean anything we often attach ourselves to whoever is that iteration of that character when people say i'm an iron man fan they're you can throw anybody in an iron man suit they're not iron man they're saying i'm a fan of tony stark i'm a captain america fan you're not saying everybody who's held the mantle of Captain America, you might be referring to Steve Rogers or Sam Wilson. I, yeah, people tend to clarify exactly what you're saying. They'll say, oh, I'm a Rhodey fan. Or they'll say, oh, I'm a, a Sam fan. I, you're very correct with that. So the idea of loving a character of a name isn't actually what people love. They love specific named characters, and they often follow those characters. They don't, you know, if... For example, uh, uh, to a point that you brought up earlier in DC, there's a, a bunch of different Green Lanterns, which, you know, that makes sense. But if they're looking for a specific Green Lantern, they're going to be looking for books that have those specific characters. They might not be fans of the other ones. And so with Punisher, we're having the po Frank Castle, who was Punisher for years upon years upon years, and is only now being shifted away from that identity and somebody else is being called Punisher. It's one of those things of where it feels weird because Punisher in and of himself is this idea of an anti-hero, but this really edgy anti-hero uh, that's like about blood and revenge and where's my family kind of stuff. I will never so forget Charles that. Bronson. I will never forget that issue of Savage Avengers where literally half of his dialogue was where's my family. I Savage Adventures number one. Chuck gets a bud. Um, it's a great book. Anybody who wants to see Jerry Duggan have a good time, check out Savage Avengers Volume One. That's a good time. Very good time. Uh, with a lot of cool people that uh, interact that I don't know if they often get to interact that much, like Electra and Wolverine, and uh, cool guy, uh, not Brother Voodoo. It's just is it Brother it's Voodoo? It's Doctor Voodoo Jer or Doctor Voodoo. Brother Voodoo. I believe he's back Jericho. to not being the Sorcerer Supreme in any like even remote capacity. Yeah. But yeah, he's not I believe all. he continues to have the title of doctor the way we tend to call people president after the fact. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think uh, Brother Voodoo is probably the most offensive name you could think to come up with for a character. And that's who he is forever. So they were like, we're going to fix it. It's doctor now. Uh, <laughs> I, don't man, but I, don't, I don't think that man's ever been to medical school. Uh, but the they nobody it's hilarious to me that nobody gets that the voodoo is really the problem here um so yeah and as jonah pointed out this man has never been to medical school uh, 
Like, give him PhD? some other title. Does he have like an honorary PhD or something? That Are you gonna challenge it? <laughs> no. Uh, you know not when I, he's currently running the school. I, I don't want to get hexed. He could <laughs> even, you know, the problem is one of the reasons we go with either doctor or father is because witch doctor or father or brother, these are terms that exist within magical systems. I would love it if he was Captain Voodoo and we extol to him, well, we extol to him the quality of leadership held by anyone who uses Captain as a yeah. qualifier in the Marvel Universe. But I recognize how that system is so completely separate from what he represents. It yeah. would probably do Marvel some good to have a recognizable system of magical names that operates the same way Captain operates for people who uh, function in superhero systems. But huh, I'm also saying, guess... like, oh my god, Go Doctor! Yeah, Doctor Strange. Doctor Druid, Doctor Strange, Doctor yeah. Voodoo. I don't, yeah. I don't mind him being Doctor. I really, my problem is like hire a Haitian person or somebody who is attached to the world of yeah. the yep. the Yorubic descended practices that that name yep. comes from. Give him. You can do this in a six issue mini, since I know you're not giving anybody more than that. Uh, but you know, like. Nyla Rose Beast came in with Steve Orlando to write uh, that John Proudstar story because it deserved to have a native voice on it. But it was clear that it wouldn't make the most sense to have somebody who, you know, is a professional wrestler, doesn't write comics full time to be producing that, you know, partnership. Great. There are so yeah. many people. I actually know them because my partner was a religious studies person. So I literally can think of people off the top of my head who study the practices that a name like brother voodoo would tie to hire that person six issues do the practices justice tell some like actual stories about that type of magic pull in a word that is less offensive and make him doctor that i well, doctor i'm totally fine with i'm even fine with voodoo there was recently a book at vertigo and by recently it's 15 years ago i'm an old man let me have this uh, called uh, Dominique Laveau Voodoo Child, written by a writer named Sylwyn Hines, who uh, has all of the credentials it takes to write this. Yeah. And it's seven issues of exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah I mean, you might end up in, at that place. You're exactly right. Like, because there are uses of that word that are applicable and correct. We just know that in 1970. Voodoo Child. Things are going to child. This is like how I started to try and sing Meet Virginia when Virginia came on during my Scarlet's Walk. <laughs> Welcome to Boston. And I really hated myself. But you see where I go as I think of the uh, first Scooby-Doo movie. There's a man with the power. What power in the power? Oh, voodoo, yeah. Voodoo. Oh, yeah, you do. You power. do. You do. <laughs> power of the man what man yeah okay anyway point b uh back to the original point what's in a name you know what is a name a rose in the name would be just as sweet people often will follow it doesn't matter what mantle if someone likes a character they're going to follow that character no matter what they're calling themselves no matter where they are people yeah. will like will follow that character punisher however i fear that there's a demographic of people who idolize and use the iconography of punisher for reasons that are not intended are not good are not kind are not what actually frank castle is intended to be 
So shifting Frank Castle away from that, I don't think solves really any of the problems with Punisher as an iconography. I makes I feel bad saying this, but the iconography of Punisher as it stands, I don't think really can be used without being associated with certain groups. And that's unfortunate. It feels like a band-aid solution. Frank Castle isn't the problem. Nobody cares who's being called Punisher. As long as somebody is wearing the Punisher iconography, you're still going to have the problems that comes with being Punisher. I'm so sorry. Uh, my Google uh, buzzed me and it was like major news alert. And so I looked and it was something silly in Broadway. It's just that Annie announced a new national tour. And I was excited. To Thank God. Oh, God. I've been so worried about that all week. I got so distracted. Yeah, the sun like, will come out tomorrow. Why are you telling me. Um, Not you, know, you bear. I, Jonah, I think you're right. Like I completely agree as well. But that again goes to what I loved about the Aaron run, which is it's not that you can't use the brand and iconography. It's that you always now have to use it in a very specific way. A mindful way. And you can see that Marvel hates that. It's like exhausting. That's, that's extra work. That's an extra $10 an hour. You have to give the lowest paid person to like, make sure that the pitch doesn't involve the Punisher saving children and being like, I'm a great guy. Do you know how much effort it takes to find an actual person of Egyptian descent in comics? Actually none. But do you know how hard it is to then onboard them and hire them? No harder than any other person. Who can possibly speak to the experience of being Egyptian or maybe Coptic? It wouldn't be that difficult. To run Moon Knight by Jed McKay. Nico, you are nailing these transitions. I'm working kind of hard on it. I'm uh, so impressed. Thank you. All right. Uh, here's the thing about Moon Knight. I <laughs> fuck. Okay. I love Bill Sinkett. I fuck. I, I mean, love... you do. <laughs> I love Doug Monk. I love so much of what makes Moon Knight great. But Moon Knight was always a title that you knew was a white guy who got powers from Egypt. It was always jank. And like, you were aware of the same thing with Iron Fist, but before they sought to make Iron Fist less problematic, they at least had Danny Rand be like, I feel terrible about my caucasoidal tendencies. And like right? they set up an entire world in which nobody else is white. Exactly. But Moon Knight is so defined by his literal whiteness. He is literally whiteness covering blackness. That is literally the character. And I am so frustrated that they have not done more to fix it before now. But Death of Moon Knight, Rebirth of Moon, whatever. Fine. All right. Jed McKay. Dawson is the moon. Dawson is the moon. <laughs> Fighting evil by Moon Knight. Um, I snapped too. I... I agree. I mean, I don't know where we're going with it. Like, I don't know if I believe that this is the end of, um, do you call Mark Spector? Who's the guy? What do you call the guy? I never know. Mark Spector. You know, that's one of the things that's a little bit difficult. Like, cause what do you call Clark Kent? What's Clark Kent's name? Kyle. Uh, Jarrell. Get the fuck out. No. Oh, Kyle. Yeah. Kyle. But Clark Kent, everybody calls him Clark Kent, right? I oh, it sounds like he's a Kyle. Audio. 
I got so haughty. Listen to me. What a what a shit bag I am. Yeah, uh, no, of. but like he's Clark Kent, but you know he's he's Kal-El, You know. I mean, do we call Do uh, Thor Donald? No, yeah, a lot or, of spice on that Kal-El. What's his actual name at birth? Odin's son. Yeah, like you know. Which but is I mean, wild, it's it's Odin it's, is named Odin Borson. It's dumber and more offensive because it's DID for for this guy, and it is a ostensibly uh, mental health condition. Uh, but it's also when they want it to be a magic thing, and then we bring reality warping into the mix. Fans are also just so freaking picky. Every single yeah. official Star Wars post that calls her Ray Skywalker within five minutes has someone commenting, no, she's not. She's a Palpatine. <laughs> Tough. It's what she is to the As official no canon. one has ever changed their last name. I, but either space. way, it is. I was just that isn't a question. That's the. This week. What? I was just thinking about Grampy Palpy earlier this week. But that is the official canon, and they call her that from official post, and people still contest it. So yeah, how do you? What do you call characters sometimes? Can I get on a, a small soapbox really fast? Do it. Do it. The name Mark Spector is a waste on Moon Knight because he's not. Yes, he involves the supernatural, but th this should he's have not been, the this, ghost. Yeah, I know. He's not a ghost. This should have been for a character that involves anything like more like paranormal that's just you know no, no, it's not aster it's not mark yeah. Aster like astro okay. it's yeah so it's annoying i, I get you. i would i'm gonna get on my own soapbox for a minute i don't ever everybody do get on soapboxes this is great now see usually i don't do this but <laughs> i'm going to reappropriate that quote on the first person who's ever said it you should credit me for how cool that sounds um we one time had a person on this show who said they felt that the DID elements of Moon Knight were so intrinsic to the point of Moon Knight, to the identity of Moon Knight, that they should belong to the idea of presenting the character. Now, I just want to be very clear. This is not anybody who that was regularly associated with our team of the Midnight Mission, who covered Moon Knight with love, care, and a woke alertness to the issues contained within the title. Uh, this was a guest who just, you know, happened to be on, who had been on our team, and they felt that the DID was something worth exploiting. I wish it had been a situation where I never felt like Marvel would have the same thoughts, right? You know, when somebody who's 25 and has not experienced the traditional symptoms of mental illness associated with DID and has never been either medicated or treated, has never experienced the stigma of having, you know, perhaps an a, a traditional mental health scape, you, you definitely don't have the appreciation for how something like that could sound. Now I chose to keep it in because the other four people in the conversation, uh, rode him like a donkey person until he took back every second of what he said. I'm talking about this really carefully because that person in that moment at 25 years old experienced an awareness, apologized, and walked it back. I fear that what I've experienced when we talk about Marvel discussing DID in the form of Moon Knight is a brazen determinance to make the things that exist stand. It's not a certainty of apology, but rather a command of futurism 
Well, see, this is what it was in the past. So here's where we're going. We're going to kill him. See, we're going to kill him and we're going to bring him back. But we're going to bring him back basically the same because you've already seen a very popular, very handsome actor who is by his nature and his political alliances woke, right? So they're banking on you using Oscar Isaac as a sort of benchmark for Moon Knight in so many ways that they can sort of attach this Death of Moon Knight event to all of the past mistakes that mark a character like Moon Knight, a white character who possesses an Egyptian mantle, a character of multiple faiths where the faiths themselves are often conflicting, and the only way he can be of these multiple faiths which are conflicting is to have this mental illness which is written as though it is a plot device. It's definitely a hard discussion as somebody who is bipolar to hand wave this so readily, but I think the better thing for Marvel to do in where we said, you know, retire Frank Castle, they really should put a person of color in the role of Moon Knight. If they can do something with that to an of the appropriate cultural sensitivities, if they can do something with that, I'm really excited to see the future of this character. Otherwise, I am so checked out. It is a library book. Well, and they did bring that dude in who is the other fist of Khonshu. Brilliant um, idea. And, you know, my thing is, in the last 10 years, they easily could have said, it's not DID. Like, how stupid was I to think that? I fully, like, there is a magical, you know, comic books reason why there are three people here. Um, and like this thing that has never been depicted as what DI, what an experience of DID is like was of course never DID. I do not have that mental illness. I was such a fool for thinking I did. I was hexed by a witch and now there's just <laughs> I, I have a punishment from Anubis. These, yeah. three, these three souls have been intertwined into one body. Exactly. What, Marvel, and, hire that, me. I just gave you a reason. Oh my god, I never had ED. It was a witch. Thank god. I mean, as stupid as it sounds, continuing on with this for this whole time, folding it into a TV show and doing exactly as you said, I feel is stupider. I would have taken the the sci-fi reason for why this is happening. And I would have really said it as like, of course, I didn't have that mental disorder, um, you know, of otherwise I would have sought treatment and done anything about it. Anyway, yeah. I was just going to say, I think that where in line is just the problem of Moon Knight himself is because you used a specific, real, identifiable mental illness of DID, it's you're now putting this character as, well, this is representation whether you want it to be or not. You're yeah. putting forward this character stating this character has DID, but if they don't you know, present the symptoms, they're not doing anything within the realms of groundedness of reality regarding this disorder, that becomes a problem. And it's like you said, TK, it's it's Marvel. This is a comic book. This is not real. You can yeah. give whatever reason you want. Change it however say, you want. It, this, is our, this is our universe, our book, and not yours. We'll do it how we want it. When you, you That justification works for walking it back and retconning in a way so that we don't have these associations with... Um, you know, with, you know, Mark and this character and all these different conflicting and problems that come with it, 
it, it's it, that works for when it's for that. But when you say this is our universe, this is how we're doing it. No, he has DID. It really makes it hard for me to really want to read the character because I know that there's just a slew of problems that come along with, again, nobody's fault. And these can be great issues, great stories. It just becomes a little bit hard for me to really want to read if they're not going to be doing their due diligence to make sure everything is proper, you know? 100%. And now I think the problem is uh, we're we're doing this series and like so many other things, I don't know what to expect here. Uh, I don't know if we are actually losing Mark Spector as we should and if we are putting somebody tied to the culture that this story comes out of into that role, which would be great if we did, except for we just did this with Iron Fist. And where is this character? This character who, again, Alyssa Wong, one of the champions at Marvel, I really think one of the writers that I'm just so excited by, uh, they did a fantastic run with the, I mean, and over a series of books, transitioning the character Swordmaster into Iron Fist. We got our last view of that in a judgment day tie-in and oh, now nothing yeah right and now we have nothing so after years of anticipation in correcting the odd mistake of continuing to have danny rand be iron fist it is now uh fully addressed and we're doing nothing with it and that is just my really big fear for moon knight after all this or my great hope is that we don't do that what I care about just as much as recasting Apu on The Simpsons is does he get just as much screen time per episode since the recast? Or is he now seeing way less screen time that he is yep. no longer Hank Azaria, despite the character having never been Hank Azaria, famous actor on The Simpsons? Mm -hmm. So I will be fascinated to see all of that. And I'm going to jump us forward to our next topic. Uh, Moon Knight, Black, White, and Blood number one had a story by John Hickman. And John Hickman has been launching Gods Forever. There's not really much more to say about it. We have been talking about Gods on this show for a zillion, trillion, billion years. Because it just feels like it's never coming out. And now uh, Ultimate Invasion is still going. And then there's Ultimate be Invasion ultimate into Ultimate Universe, universe into Ultimate Spider-Man. Into Ultimate Spider-Man. You know, we currently don't know that it's not going to be a new Peter Parker. Yeah. We don't know anything. I am really not sure how I feel about the Ultimate Universe by Hickman re revitalizing. I don't know. I'm definitely down to read the Ultimate Universe now. I guess I don't have a choice. But, you know, Jonah. Well, TK, I also, of course. No, want no, no sorry. Keep, keep going. The duality of my question is, Jonah, the Ultimate Universe was literally just like it was designed. It was designed for you. It was defined by your generation's interests. And it is described as the Marvel Universe for your generation. How do you feel about the return of the Marvel Universe? I'm sorry, the Ultimate Marvel Universe. And then TK, as somebody who saw the Ultimate Universe come and go... How do you feel about the fact that it's coming back six, seven years after it departed, even though it never really left because they kept going to it times? So as a blanket, I do fine 
A, used to be very fascinating. You know, I made a reference to Spider-Ham earlier. I like the, uh, I almost said Lethal Legion. That's absolutely not their name. Hyperion, all those people. What, what's uh, the, well, the, so the that is Justice League? The su that's the Squadron Supreme. Thank you. Or Supreme Power. But I do see where you came up with Lethal Legion because it's like the Legion of Superheroes and like they're obviously kind of creepy and like uh, villainy in most universes. <laughs> oh, sorry, Hyperion. Uh, the, the, the Lethal Legion is different characters. Anyway. Um... Yeah, they're led by Zodiac, uh, the guy with the big... Like... Point being... I like AUs. I can find them fascinating, especially if they're doing something different enough or they have an interesting enough concept. You know, I talk about it. All, I can't tell you how many times that we covered it, even on the show, and we talk about it. The Squadron Supreme uh, series that came out where, does, where the concept was a universe where Captain America was not uh, frozen from the, uh, thought from the iceberg. Heroes Reborn. Heroes Reborn. And what what does that universe look like? That in and of itself is interesting. I don't know if the ultimate universe is interesting enough for me. I, and I feel bad saying that, but... Don't, to me, don't feel bad. What is, what is the ultimate universe supposed to be? What makes it different than Earth's... It's six? meant to be like, what if instead of the first hundred issues of Spider-Man telling the first hundred issues of Spider-Man, what if we did it in like 11 issues where we cut out all of the dumb filler stuff that's mostly Spider-Man talks about how the Latino at his school is real intelligent and may get to work at a gas station. And uh, we leave out all of the stuff that just goes back and forth. And uh, we cut all of that stuff. What if we compress that first hundred issues to like 11 or 12 and uh, retell every story in a modern way with extreme levels of both compression and decompression? It is meant to be what if that hundred issues was accessible to you as a person with less read time and higher expectations of art output? So that to me reads... Uh, duly in two different ways. In a way to just reprint the same material in a way that they can resell and market it as something new, as well as give you the tent poles of this character's story and not really change much else. That's not that interesting to me. I like the hey, AUs where something uh, extreme happens. Gay Colossus. You know... That is almost enough to get me on board. Yeah, you know what? Gay Colossus, that's where it's at. Uh, uh, it also had the greatest romance of all time. What, what Kitty and what, Peter? Peter? No, Scarlet nope. Witch and Quicksilver. That's the one. Oh my one. god, yeah. It was uh, beautiful. It, Just never had, seen... it had Hank Pym spraying a miniaturized wasp with insecticide and then putting a dome over her head. Oh, you love talking about that. It's that happened in our universe too, but it, they just didn't show us. It, it has uh, one of my favorite things ever, which is Captain America punching somebody in the head and then saying the A doesn't stand for France. For France. <laughs> it's oh the worst God. universe ever. I hate anyway. the universe from the outside. And, and you know, I get the what the, the concept was and i don't think it was a bad thought to have i'm actually shocked that it did as well as it did um i'm not shocked that it went off the rails which it did 
And I am a little surprised to see that they're bringing it back only because I don't see what the value is. I think if they were betting on nostalgia, they have backed the wrong horse in this case. I do not think... I think regardless of the fact that Ultimate Spider-Man came out more than 20 years ago, I don't think it feels like people are nostalgic for that era of Ultimate Spider-Man. I that bet we're just... re-secret warsing. Uh, we may be doing again. that. And this is the thing. As soon as I saw Hickman, I said, why is this not the secret universe? Why is oh, this not... Oh, that's so smart! Oh, come on. you'd have to rebrand it. People recognize hey. Ultimate. Hey, that's the thing. From when I was a kid, and I would buy my comics back in Brooklyn at Joey's Comic Shop. Hey! I don't... What I'm saying is I don't think that is... I love that impression, by the way. Just That's the character. Um... But I don't think that's a, a big enough sell. I don't think that has nearly as much money behind it. What? Secret Wars is going to yeah. be the name of a Marvel film. Yeah. In just a couple of years. Yes. And then no, I, I think we could do a Secret Wars again in the comics, led by Hickman. Yeah. Where maybe Maker is the new Doctor Doom figure. Because yeah. who's the only person more intelligent than Doom? Reed Richards. And now we have yeah. an evil Reed Richards, although... One of the only things, and then I'm going to make us move to X-Men. One of yep. the only things I need to harp on is I maybe read all three issues of Ultimate Invasion or like, because I really like Maker. Um, yeah. Maker has extreme brain damage. Universe Reed Richards to be the smart read for him. Huh. So... Mm -hmm. It's almost like, what if maybe Maker is a syndrome of Reed Richards's is, and he could pass himself along to another Reed? I don't know. I think perhaps if anybody's going to do it, Jonathan Hickman's understanding of the idea of iteration across multiple versions and yet iterations of the same character in the same person, multiple selves in a single person like Moira. It allows for two different forms of exploration at once. I'm hopeful that something like the idea of the many reads of Fix Everything and the singularity of the many Moira of the many lives of Moira McTaggart allow us to see some future in what he's crafting here. I appreciate your optimism. I'm here for it. I agree. I do hope that this is where we're going with this. I, I love Hickman. Uh, he has done so much great work. I usually find that my problem is with, as we've been saying with so many of these things, what happens to the work after the fact and with right. other contexts. Um, so that's, you know, my excitement is that Hickman is taking on what I think is kind of a, a battered property, uh, one that just kind of fell off the tracks and got got scuffed up. And really, you're right, might be able to do something with it. Um, I think it's weird that this is all happening in the midst of gods, which just feels like Marvel gave up on it before it even released. God, and... sometimes a girl just needs one. God. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Man, there are some uh, Britney-loving Christian religion uh, coalition groups that are going to really want to use that cover now. So um, X-Men. So X-Men. Let's do it. <clears throat> Here's my take. 
I find myself a little frustrated because the nature of where X-Men is, is trying to ride a coattails. And I had never realized this and why something can feel so good, but feel so bad. I'm fully aware for the first time ever that Hox Pox one through six, the shared title universe experience is essentially the same thing as Jim Lee and Will Sportaccio's alongside greats like Chris Claremont and John Byrne on writing duties, X-Men and Uncanny X-Men 1 through 7 and 281 through 289. There was two really good arcs that set a precedence and everything was told for eight years. You just need to keep repeating the formula. Just keep doing X-Men 1 through 7. Just do Magneto having a space station. Just do things like Omega Red. Have Bishop come from the future. Do X-Force 1 through 6. Just keep doing that first arc of every 90s book. Do the logical next thought of that first thing over and over. Do you know the problem with the logical next thought of the first thing? Is you never get to the next thing. Because it's the next thought of the first thing. What follows one isn't two, it's one A. It's an exploration of all of the ideas introduced in one. So what we've been doing since Hoxpox one through six respective is we've been tracing, exploring, reiterating, and mining elements of 12 breathtaking issues where I was like I could rip my own heart out and eat it to get my hands on an Ohatmu for this era where I was buying variant covers because I was concerned there might be one changed page in the reprint. And <clears throat> I'm fully aware now that what I'm looking at is the overmining of six to 12 great issues into an entire era. I'm not 100% sure I see it that way because I do think that there was the setup of the era was such that it was designed to then give us a a new like a new culture to explore a new country to explore and I think my problem is actually in a lot of ways almost the opposite it's that we never really actually explored so much of what was given as a possibility. Um, Hoxpox setting up so much in terms of the idea of a mutant nation. Well, I mean, and, that's what I mean, like it's, yeah, I think I, I'm now seeing what, yeah, I'm just coming yeah. around it from the other side. It's, um, it's literally exploration the long way around. of the ideas of issue one. Yeah. It's not really the exploration of what should be issue seven. It's like, hey, let's do 1B. Let's do 2B. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I for I remember just for months uh, we would talk about a particular issue and we would all say, like, the thing that I really want is just a slice of life Krakoa book. I want to know what life is like for the average mutant on this island that is finally a home safe nation for them. And I was thinking about it today, like, 
mangas sell so much better than comics and slice of life manga are so successful it just to me feels like there's such a disconnect for marvel and there's such a fear of doing other stuff yet there is such a desperation to sell like manga sell and for me i really can't believe that nobody broke down and did this thing this type of book that really sells that is a huge uh logical step out of Hawksbox. If we have a nation, what is life like in the nation? Because that's not unlimited. That is not what I am getting on unlimited. No, like unlimited gives us some of it and it's cute and fun, but sell it motherfucker. Sell the book, write the book again. This can be that 60 issue one shot even, but do it. Uh, And there's just so much stuff that we didn't do and instead we just did everybody will always hate and fear us everybody is gunning for the island um it seems like the only really huge change we made was it turns out actually moira is the worst person in the world and Uh. is not just a a really conflicted dark upset character then you shouldn't have given her that outfit I'm but sorry. Just if she's the worst alive. person in the world, she should not have had that outfit. You should not have made me love her by clothes. Completely like agree. Also, it was the, the sassy person. stance. Yeah. Like she had, she had uh, scientist heels on, and um, just I felt like we we took a hard left with skinning people alive, and I think it was weird and unfair. And a then consistent hard left for science witchy types. Justice for Willow Rosenberg. Okay. So there's a TV show. You had a big catch-up night last night, JoJo, so you're, like, full of fresh thoughts. Yeah, uh, I've read a a lot of what came out last month to get me prepared for, all right, where where are we currently at and what's going on with this fall of X? Uh, So years ago, a friend and I uh, decided to binge-watch a TV show known by the name of The Fosters. And I had to stop watching that show after about four seasons, partly because that show kept employing the dramatic method of upping the stakes, nothing can ever be right. There's always a problem. No matter if you think you're getting to the solution of the current problem, something new arises. And constant after constant obstacle was thrown into these characters' faces for whatever reason. After a certain point, that was no longer entertaining or... something i wanted to be a part of it became very repetitive and dare i say boring of these characters are never going to get a break oftentimes we joked about that the x-men are are a soap opera it's less about the being a superhero and more about the optics of what do the x-men represent for each insert marginalized group however it feels like the current runs of x-men have been employing the dramatic method of upping the stakes over and over again at a certain point, this is no longer entertaining to me. It is just bleak. It is just bloody. It is just depressing. I'm so lost of, okay, the X-Men and mutants can, al- can never be happy. They are perpetually going to be in this constant state of we will never, there will never be a satisfaction. There will never be anything good in the world. There will never be anything right. We will constantly be hunted and not, there will be nothing. The X-Men will have nothing. They will be nothing. And it just feels so nihilistic of this group of people cannot have a single moment 
to just enjoy themselves. And it just feels, why is everything so bloody? You know, I, it feels like almost whiplash reading back from Giant Size X-Men number one to the 80s, to the 90s with X-Factor, and to the 2000s with new X-Men, where we see less bloody, but often an interwining of tales and different variations of this idea of a soap opera. But here, it feels less of a soap opera and more of just war documentary. I, I don't know how to describe it other than I don't know what the fascination is with every single book having to be so bloody. And they're just, you know, I'm... One of the things that struck me when everything went down with the X-Men recently is that it is starting to feel a little bit like every danger that the X-Men faces is a little repetitive, is what I'm starting to notice, and that it can there ever be a new type of threat? Can there ever be a new type of danger? That's what's really striking me personally the most, is that I wish it wasn't the same sort of threats over and over again. It's not even that there can't be danger. Oh no, it's an action adventure comic. Bicycles. Yeah, I don't even know. Whatever. A new threat. But yeah, even flying bicycles would be something new that isn't the same exact type of mutant persecution story. You know, Kevo, on exactly what you're saying, uh, amazing artist and uh, fan and contributor Taryn Enigma says, I need to catch up massively. Uh, you're fine. But these uh, uh, releasing titles make me think of them as being victims instead of heroes. Where do yeah. they fit in within their world? They're doomed for this repetitive conflict. You know, I can't help but agree. And Love part that. Of it, Thank you, Ting. You know, part of it for me is I think back on, uh, you know, when you're like a kid and you hear a lyric and you're like, no one's ever said anything as smart as that. And then yeah. actually, as you continue to grow up, a couple of them kind of like hang in there. Ultimately, um, are you Johnny Ray? Who wants to know? Not poet Just laureate material, it. but right. Um, reruns all become our history, right? Good job, Johnny Resnick. I can't help but think that if I were to say to Jonah, I think something you would love is Peter David's second attempt at X Factor that followed the Madrox run. Madrox was a one, uh, five issue, one volume miniseries that came out in Marvel Knights, uh, 2003-ish, and then in 2005-2006 when the decimation occurred and X-Factor relaunched under Peter David and Ryan Souk. And then uh, I forget who it transitioned to shortly after Ryan Souk had some trouble with deadlines, but uh, that happened. Uh, you know, you would need to be told, Jonah, that all of these characters are reacting to a massive depowering. But I feel like then, what if you wanted to do an Excalibur read? you would get to a point in New Excalibur where everybody's reacting to a massive depowering. Or in Uncanny, in X-Men, there isn't a title where you'd be free of that reaction. And as a response, I think, yeah, you know what, when I think about it, reruns all become our history in as far as we're going to dial into these errors and we're going to say things like, oh, right, this was the decimation error. This is when people were depowered. So when you see that little banner or you hear the phrase decimation, it means depowering. I feel like the Krakoan era had the potential to be something as redefining as the new Avengers was under Bendis's pen for the Avengers franchise, where we've never really reverted back to that classic identity of the Avengers that existed prior, the last major run being Busick and Perez, though I know uh, for sure uh, 
Jeff Johns and Chuck Austin would both pen uh, semi-lengthy runs between the Busick and Bendis runs, right? So what I'm trying to say is, if this is the end of the Krakoan era, if they're not just forming Okara on Mars and also going back to the mansion, so it's both the fall and the rise at the same time and everything's bad <laughs> but good, you know, if this isn't, I'm happy, I'm sad, I'm happy, I'm sad, right? If this isn't that, um, I'm going to look back at the era of Krakoa and think, you guys fucking fumbled the barrel. Right, which is not me slurring my words. It's a happy endings quote. You guys fumbled the ball. Uh, the reality is, this had all of the gold mine money making power of its own franchise. It didn't need to be X Men to succeed with this idea. This notion could have been a powerhouse in image, could have put Dark Horse back on the map, and could have been the first time Boom ever had a major competitive title outside of an IP. Yet, it was given to X-Men because John Hickman envisioned it for X-Men when he first came up with it. The balance there becomes, you guys could have made this the very it. And instead, it could just be a footnote in the X-Men's very long history. TK, you talk about the decimation like it's the worst thing ever done to your entire body, ever. And this could be that to you. I would love to know how you guys feel about if this is the end of the Krakoan era with things like the all new X-Men. That's the fucking teen X-Men. That's teen X-Men coming That's back. Original. That's and yeah, then we we original. That's the original are coming back when Fall of X launches, which is when, I'm sorry, Fall of Powers, no, Fall of House fall of, of House X and uh, Rise of Powers and Resurrection of Magneto and new X-Men all happen is when original X-Men happens. Yep. And I can't help but notice that new and original have the same X. Uh, so they, what about they, extra crispy? That's, that is actually my mutant identity. <laughs> um, extra yeah. crispy. Yeah. Uh, I, my power is just like my skin is dry. Um, I, oh, I, I didn't know I was a mutant. <laughs> um, at the end of the day, we have now gotten to the point where, like, my rage about missed opportunities has settled. And ultimately, what this will be is a really unfortunate uh, set of missed opportunities. Uh, great setup from Hickman. Some phenomenal writing uh, during, like, peak Krakoan era. Some really, really great stories told. Uh, it's just that some really big components were missing and constantly missing. And then some really big swings were taken that I just don't agree with the direction. Um, and so if this is it, this sort of feels like the pendulum swing in the other direction of what really was the problem for me with the decimation. The decimation was uh, about marvel studios and marvel the movie making entity not having the rights to the x-men and wanting to minimize them so that they could use ip that they had rights to uh and and put those into movies that were set to make a billion dollars they tried really hard it didn't work they acquired the x-men again 
And the pendulum swung all the way to the other side where now it's about doing anything we can to set the X-Men up and to work in the house of ideas to find the best way to start putting them into uh, film and TV. And while I'm really excited to see them in film and TV, uh, that it feels like so much hinges on that and big swings get taken and big decisions get made based around what's going to lead into suitable, uh, a suitable set of circumstances for film and TV is really frustrating because it just further inhibits experimentation and innovation and any sort of real creative liberty. And that's where I'll be if, you know, if we get to all this and we end the Krakoan era and just like, even if we just go back to the mansion, even if we don't have all the cool stuff, uh, this is just going to be, you know, kind of missed opportunities. But like, I've already raged about this way too much. What if it's like a, a special spatial magical anomaly, a little bit bigger on the inside? What if they go back to the mansion, but somehow Krakoa is the backyard? Well, that's that is I Krakoa think, is the mansion. Well, you know, I think some some version of that would be really cool. Her cardigan uh, backyard again. Yeah, let's um, evolve it. Let's not take it back, I think, is what we're driving at. We need to carry this forward, not hopefully wipe it from the board, which happens a lot. Yeah, and the the idea of the nation state didn't really get proper explanation. So if, if they want to put people back at the... I mean, they already have gateways that go everywhere. So location... You know, if we lost Resurrection... More exactly. Just ask Kate. Um, if we lost resurrection, but kept the gateways and mutants just kind of had their nation everywhere, I think that would be really cool too. But the idea of a minority people getting a chance to be amongst their own people in spaces that feel safe, that yeah. to me was always the promise and interest I we're going to say in space and it also would have been true. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, it could be. Yeah, it could maybe in space. space. That was also that was the promise of Krakoa, and it was never realized. No writer ever got to come in and say, "This is what that fucking chicken kid that Wolverine rescues in." It's either in Wolverine or X Force, but like all these little mutant kids that we see. Don't talk about is... like that. <laughs> Tito what is, is buff. I, and those kids are about to grow up soon. You know it. Um, but what is life like just for kids? What is life like for somebody whose power is not a fighting power, but who was teased relentlessly and bullied relentlessly living in America to now go to this place where, you know, as Professor Xavier says, welcome home, Gene. And we we've been asking that. these questions for 60 years. Hi, yeah. my power is sodium. I just make things salty. I don't really do much in battle. I just make things, you know, salty. My favorite mutant is from 2099. He's just a dude who generates bubbles. <laughs> oh, boy. I My guy's name is that. Brian. <laughs> oh, oh. He's made out of, he's, his skin it tastes like a pickle. Um, so I have a point I need to make. Yeah. At the very beginning... 
of Hox Pox and the very first couple of issues that trickled out afterwards, we are constantly being told by everybody in the world around us, Krakoa is a paradise. And mm-hmm. we have yet to ever see Krakoa as a paradise. No, there there's is... that one panel where Wolverine looks happy about kids or whatever. That's the same the... one that I was talking about earlier. <laughs> that one, no, the one panel where Wolverine is solo surfing and then somebody steals a baby. <laughs> that did happen. Um, but we are constantly being told everywhere, Krakoa is this paradise for mutants. And I have, outside of maybe panels, there has yet to be somebody to actually show me what a paradise this is actually supposed to be. I Every single X-Men title, there is a problem. There is this threat. There is an obstacle. Never once has somebody actually thought to say, hey, we keep saying this is a paradise. Can we show it's a paradise? No, you can't because it go- this goes along to something you talked about earlier, TK, that Marvel wherever it's coming from within the Marvel offices has this bottom line and idea that something like a slice of life, something where there aren't actual stakes, where you're just following this mundane life of these mutants that don't have extraordinary or cool powers is not going to make money. They have this idea that that's boring. It's not going to sell. It's going to flop. And that we can't do this. We cannot try. It's too big of a risk. It's it'll never work. And then you look check at, out YouTube and and TikTok. That is a bunch of talentless people making lots of money. Uh, <laughs> Hi guys, check out our channel. Don't forget to like and subscribe. <laughs> hit that hit that notification bell. Ding. Um, but there it's almost as if there's this fundamental, as if the idea of following the mundane of literally an entire issue of the x-men playing baseball is somehow the antithesis and going to ruin this brand and can never it will not sell and it's just one of those things of what are we doing then if we're going to rehash the same theme over and over again no matter what after a certain point it does is it not just does it not just bear repeating how many times can this be done to the x-men truly how many times can we face a mutant massacre where literally we just kill all kill all these mutants they're not dead they're somewhere exodus is you know leading them through the desert because we need another moses reference i i i do not understand after a certain point this is what are we doing if we're going to get rid of krakoa then what was the point in the first place I actually, I feel, ba- I, I don't feel bad saying that. I genuinely mean it. What was the point of allowing Jonathan Hickman to create the Krakoan era if we're just going to walk it back very quickly after it started and then just kind of almost even pretend it doesn't even exist? I mean, yeah. Hickman wanted it to end after a year. He wanted to move on to the next part of his story right away. And that could have been fine, actually. That could have been totally okay. But that we didn't end... Uh, but didn't do the type of stuff that Jonah is talking about. And like Marvel, because I know you're listening and taking ideas from us. I like slice of life. It's possible to write conflict in a story that is not um, somebody trying to murder you or like 
the world's going to end or giant robots are here. Conflicts can be like a new settler to an island nation is trying to figure out where he wants to live or what he's going to do for a job or what it means. diplomacy amongst people on like a neighborhood street the same way people would have to with a government. What it means to, you know, uh, decide I'm going to actually leave my family that are not mutants because although I love them, the idea of being in a homeland is more uh, special to me than being with my family. That's all conflict. That's all stuff that like can drive a story and be interesting, but nobody punches anybody. And that's okay. Look at how much stuff you're releasing. Like it's fine if one book, if two books even are that thing, but if no books are, then as Jonah said, what were we doing this whole time? Because I did love all of those books that were not that slice of life, but that we got nothing else, that we got no other structure, that we got nothing to remind us what we were here for. I don't know what to do with it now. And so because of that, I'm not really like, I feel no way about what's coming next. Uh, because yeah. I can't invest again. Um, well, and can I actually even challenge your, like, I can't. Uh, yeah. You know, I don't know why you specifically had to feel that way about it, like Foghorn Leghorn would. But... Yeah, and I was going to say Trinity the Tuck Taylor. Oh, excellent. They are <laughs> uh, Six of one, half person. dozen of the other. Absolutely. Both giant cocks. So I want to say that... Um, one of the things about the press release for the original X-Men that actually kind of frustrated me. Number one, I think Christos Gage is one of the gifts to modern comics that goes most unsung at Marvel. The guy can take any project that he's told to turn into something special and find the magic in it. The issues that I've read of him contributing to Dan Slott's Spider-Man are most of my favorite issues of Dan Slott's Spider-Man. Yeah. And his own work is incredible. He sometimes collaborates with his wife on uh, like television scripts. The guy is amazing, and I'm a big fan of his. But that the press release for this book initially says, at the end of this multiverse-spanning adventure pulled together by the Phoenix... One of these kids is going to stay in the regular Marvel universe. Um, Here's my guess. It'll probably be Beast. Um, You know, Adult yeah, Beast is like a bad we gotta, guy. We got to get rid of Adult Beast. So they'll probably just leave uh, Teen Beast, who knows magic, in the present because Big Blue Furry doesn't do a lot. And they'll like maybe even leave Big Blue Furry nope, Beast over. a bad guy. But um, Sexy... Thick boy who knows magic, that's hot. So yep. um people want it. Yeah, I think ultimately original X-Men is an opportunity for the Marvel Universe alongside things like the rehashing of the ultimate identity under the new pen of Hickman instead of under the initial pen of Bendis and Millar. I think this represents Marvel trying to say, look, we haven't really known how to bounce back from the pandemic. It ruined all of our plans. So many of our stories were meant to be told tightly. And so we had to change dialogue on pages and reorganize panels and had to make books make sense, canceled other titles, moved plans around. I think so much of what they're burning off now, these are the stories they thought they'd be telling two years ago. And I think the push to shift whatever the Krakoan age is going to be to its next phase with things like new X-Men, original X-Men. Wow. 
now that I think about it, it sounds to me like they're trying to push two different eras of X-Men. Do era, you like era. the not, you know, the not Krakoan stuff? Check out original X-Men. Do you like the Krakoan stuff? Check out new X-Men. It sounds like they do, in fact, want that cake and want to eat it too, but let's change it. You want to eat your cake and gain no calories. That's kind of the new version of that. And I think that's a little bit what I'm feeling with new X-Men versus original X-Men and things like the resurrection of Magneto. There was such a to-do made about killing off Magneto. And now I'm being told in four or five months from now, I can get ready for Magneto to come back. That's great. That's very exciting, genuinely, because I'm a big fan of the character. He's a necessary component of the functioning of the X-Men as a unit. But one of the things that then I wind up feeling is like, there really hasn't even been time to grow on that harpy. There hasn't been time for grass to grow on that harpy's grave before we're bringing him back. And are we bringing him back with the protocols? Are the protocols going to be the last moment? Like, you know, is returning Magneto the last thing the protocols do? I don't know. I find myself in a position where I feel as though what the X-Men are promising me five months from now, six months from now, is a backdoor exit out of where we are. But do you want me to keep buying the books about where we are or not? Do yeah. you want me to stop buying my books until January? Trust me, I'm happy to save my money for a couple of months. But if I should be buying these books and not just catching up in December on Marvel Unlimited and then purchasing the arcs I feel like finishing before the new books launch, I need a reason to care. At the moment, I'm being told nothing I'm reading is going to be appearing in January. Ah, that's a hard sales pitch on December, you guys. Yeah, I mean, that's that is such a problem that we're seeing all over the place now. And it's the thing that we started with at the show. There's the rapid fire disjointed pace of promotion and i honestly think it's kind of sad that they're not doing more promotion of what's out this week and what they do is feels just very superficial um you know i love doing this show because i love to talk about comics and i know there are other people like us i the point being i don't think it would be difficult to do more promotion of the books that are currently out and the era that is currently out with the creators that write, with fans that read, with, you know, comics scholars. There's so many people that want to sit and talk about this crazy Alpha Flight book or, you know, this first issue of uh, Uncanny Spider-Man where we've got Kurt being Night uh, Nightcrawler being Spider-Man. Like, that's actually interesting. There is stuff there, but... I really haven't heard word one of that, and I believe Marvel might have put out an announcement or two or like an interview or two, but nobody cares because we just found out that one of the original X-Men is coming back and Magneto is coming back. Well, and, and I, the, the Nightcrawler book was announced in fucking what, July? And I just feel like I um, I'm still going to care about these original X-Men and Magneto books when they come out. I'll care about them uh, during Comic-Con. Uh, you know, you could have announced them then without this preamble because you're still saying that you're going to officially talk about them at Comic-Con. So we didn't need this announcement. But I think Uncanny Spider-Man could have used the boost. This and is the half to talk of comics. Hey, guys, look, coming in October... We have to talk about the original X-Men. 
right? This is the, hey guys, we have to talk. Because they're like literally telling us, get ready, big announcement coming. Don't worry, you guys, it's going to be huge. Oh, but wait two months. It's frustrating. We were already going to pay attention to what was happening at Comic Con. I forgot how much of this getting more announcements. Nobody in the fandom was like, I don't think I care about Comic Con announcements. What all of us do is look at like the schedule for big cons and see if we get an, an announcement. And like, I think NYCC and SDCC alone, that should be all the announcements for the year. You should get everything from those two. And then otherwise, the promotion should be focused on what's out now. Uh, but I, Nico, you're so right. And it's been the, the kind of the thesis from the get-go. is like, how can I care? How do I even have time to care? The extra time that it takes to sort through all of these announcements literally took away from my comic reading time this month. Uh, I don't know how Jonah manages to read comics when he's always trying to play Snap or how you and I manage to read comics when we're always trying to play Marvel Contest of Champions. I'm actually kind of only barely making a joke. One of the things that I think has actually become a humongous problem for the comic market is that the announcements come out every day. Yeah. So Wednesday, I'm getting announcements about how great the books on Wednesday are. And then Thursday, I'm getting announcements about how the great book, how great the book six months from now are going to be. I don't have time to enjoy my books on Wednesday. And then I'm told I have to play Marvel Strike Force. And then I'm told I have to play Marvel Snap. And then I'm told I have to play Marvel Contest of Champions. And I have to watch Loki. And I have to watch Ms. Marvel. And I have to watch What If. And I need to keep my eyes on all of the news about X-Men 97. And I should be going to Target to pick up the newest line of 50% off X-Men Legends figures. And I need to make sure that I don't forget about all of the amazing offerings over on Marvel Unlimited. I'm a manic person, but even that gave me like anxiety trying to follow. The nature of what it becomes to try and keep up with the books that are released, with books being released at such a pace... If you ever use anything like Marvel Fandom or the CMRO, which is the complete Marvel reading order that we always reference, uh, you'll find that the complete works of Spider-Man, for instance, uh, rests on like 180 pages of, you know, issues. The 60s to the 80s are like pages 1 through 10. And then the 80s are pages like 10 through 12 you come to realize that so many more books come out each month than ever came out before. And so many of these books have B and C stories that the number of stories featuring these characters become exponentially greater each year. The nature of trying to homogenize all of that within a single line becomes so, so difficult, especially when you're trying to keep these things moving forward. How do you release 30 Spider-Man stories a month in September when you've already told me about eight of the Spider-Man stories coming out in January. Reach. So, all right. Final thoughts. Kevo, you've sat here so patiently. Uh, Jonah, you've had so many wonderful perspectives and I'm so grateful for all of them. And TK, as always, my partner in this devious crime of talking about weekly comics. I'm so excited to get everybody's final takes on this topic. As for me, you know, if you're asking me how I feel about comics in the now being eh, but promising me that next year will be better. 
that's a really rough market. Uh, you know, we mm. sometimes talk about TV shows that take rebuilding years. For instance, just for example, uh, Gilmore Girls season four often feels devoid of very strong stories. But when you watch season five, you can see how it's actually a much stronger season. I actually think the four or five parallel also operates for something like Buffy. Sometimes TV shows just need a little bit of time to tell perhaps what we might consider expendable or recyclable stories so that they can build towards stronger, bigger ideas that give us, you know, the emotional impact. There's nothing wrong with a short kind of filler arc if that filler arc is highly enjoyable. I think yeah. what I'm finding right now is the nature of Marvel is they're trying to tell us, don't worry, this right now is just a filler arc, but it's enjoyable. What's coming next? That's the big thing. And then when I get to the big thing, they say, we changed our mind. This is a filler arc. We know that last filler arc was just filler, but this one will be enjoyable. But the next thing is going to be the big thing you're waiting for. And the delayed gratification is beginning to greatly affect my appreciation of the month-to-month -month stories. That's my final take on all of this. I wish it weren't, but I really think that Marvel is in a position to change that with this last slew of announcements. Uh, let's go in a down and clockwise kind of order. Kevo, Jojo, TK, and then give me your sign-offs. Kevo, what do you think about this state of things? Counterclockwise. I was going to say, this is just counterclockwise. Anticlockwise. <laughs> Wittershins. Yes, that is correct. Uh, yeah, I really echo a lot of what you are saying. I, you know, it's the nature of live art, and that's part of what rebuilding years are in terms of television as well especially more back in the day of Gilmore girls television is wild today so you know his structures are different but uh yeah you do need um you know filler arcs sometimes to put it horribly uh but you know when you are a live thing that is going on for years you do need these periods of rebuilding sometimes but uh, it's rough to get through uh, especially if you don't get to something great so i don't know i have hope you have to live in hope absolutely i agree i think you know hope for the future of marvel is definitely the name of the game because it's not a lack of hope for sure yeah and where can everybody find your fine self you can find me on the socials of kevo really that's k-e-v-o-r-e-a-l-l-y jonah hi yeah, so I'm trying to be hopeful, but how much longer can I be asked? At, you gotta stay hopeful, you know, you kind of just gotta get through this to make it to the end and get to the good stuff. And I feel like how many that's times? Not yeah, really fair to me as a comics reader that I have to be told this, what I feel like is a few too many times, because my patience is wearing thin. That's not fair to me, that I have to kind of wait more and more. And you're now asking me to gamble on in a year from now. Hey, you might like this. It'll be different at least. And then what's the problem if I don't like that a year from now? I gotta wait another year before I determine if I find something I like. And in the meantime, you've purchased 60 issues at $3.99 a piece. So in the meantime, yeah. you've paid $240 in issues alone, hoping that next year that canon will pay off. You know, as a great uh, character from the theater said, maybe this time I'll be lucky. Maybe this time he'll stay. I love Shakespeare. Shakespeare. 
Or, well, I mean, Shakespeare was a little shaky, dear. I mean, Candor and Ebb are as close to Shakespeare as we've had in the modern age, so. Uh, who's on first? But more importantly, um, I can only say there are other titles I am much more and have been interested in exploring. I've been following Hellcat, and I've been very much enjoying that. So uh, shout out to you, Patsy. You're doing great, kid. Uh, oh, it's just Patsy. It's just Patsy. It's just Patsy. Um, but we like Patsy. Um, so Patsy. I'm finding my attention drifting elsewhere into other IPs within Marvel. And even then, it's a little... Mm, it's a very loose tether right now. But if you want to follow me, you can follow me on any socials at Peak Jonah. That's P-E-A-K. TK! Yo! Um, I want to make sure that I say as many times as I can that so many of the creators on these books are phenomenal. Even when I have a harsh criticism for somebody like Kieran Gillen, who I worship and I have since the phonogram days, like a man, an, an artist that changed the way I write and think about Sword Volume One, man. That yep. uh, that early Marvel work. How can you overlook that Abigail Brand when she was one percent likable? I mean, truly, Sword is a great example of what I thought everybody should be doing because that was a really interesting piece of nationhood and the random mutants that got brought in. The idea of like sort of backups. Um, it was just a phenomenal book, and X Men Red has really been uh, fantastic. That's Ewing. Um, these are all Ewing. Um, anyway, uh, Immortal was also fantastic. Point being, I, I had a harsh criticism earlier where I said, like, I really feel like Apocalypse having Gene on a leash is inappropriate. I do not feel like that was a good move. I still think Gillen is amazing. I think, you know, Alyssa Wong is what makes the comics world turn. Teeny Howard, Leah Williams, just Vita Ayala, so many amazing creators that were part of an era that I have a problem with. Even somebody like Ben Percy, I, I think I like right now am following his writing career almost more than anybody else's because I want to write like his Ghost Rider. Absolutely. I don't think that his X-Force is bad writing. It just is choices that are not for me. And editorially, I think the choice to keep one man on a book for this long, um, it's not always the right choice. I know we love longer runs, but I think we've gotten to a point where it's maybe too long. It was a criticism that I had for Tom DeFalco on Spider-Girl at around the same point, and then he kept going for more than double that amount of issues. Yeah. So, you know... To have these criticisms is not to say anybody is untalented. I don't think I've talked about a single person today that I don't think I would aspire to their talent. Uh, that, that's writers. The artists I can't even conceive of. Even somebody like Greg Land at his worst, I could not do. So everybody involved works so hard and is so talented. And I just never want to minimize that. That is such an important thing. But we did talk earlier about how there are a lot of different camps with a lot of different motivations. And it's not just all the creators, it's editors, it's corporate interests. And the fusion of all those things together is 
putting me as a reader in a place where I'm having a lot of trouble and I'm find my, finding myself being more negative than I want to be. Granularly, on a day-to-day -day basis, on a panel-to-panel -panel basis, I really do love a lot of this stuff and I really am proud and impressed by so many of these stories. Great read. When I pull back, it's a lot more difficult. And it's difficult because I want better, I want these stories in better frameworks. I want them to last. I want them to be in beautifully wrought homes that will survive. I don't want them in McMansions that are going to crumble. And it just feels like some of this structure that we're looking at, where we're constantly building the next wing of the house without having checked on the design of the wing we were in, it's gonna collapse. I agree completely. I want things that feel like they deserve omnibus editions, not just a quick trade. Yeah. So, you know, I really, I do want to be positive and I do want to laud everybody involved for the hard work. Truly. I just want to encourage all of us to pull back, look at the bigger picture, to ask some hard questions and to be willing to experiment more. That is one thing that I really want to take somebody to task for i don't think it's writers and uh and artists i do think it's editorial and corporate experiment do things outside the box um you know like i said manga's selling better so think about it uh there's a lot of stuff that people are willing to buy and pick up and i mean one of our big like man this banged was uh, a marvel manga it was deadpool samurai uh, so literally it could be manga. Like we have options here. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my long winded sign off. If you want to talk to me more about this, you can find me at TK elemental on all the socials. As for me, you guys can check me out on all of my socials at Nico action. It's N I C O A C T I O N. And if you like what you hear, you can check the show out in all of its many forms with all of its many hosts on all of its many socials at X's for show. I also just want to say that, uh, taste cake uh oh tasty cake i get it oh that took me a minute i'm like cake. this happens to you every time oh what a sad yeah. story i get comics from the 90s and 2000s to get rid of uh i just couldn't keep up with it all you know that's the We've nature of what we're talking about like it's so hard to engage with this medium in a way that can be meaningful so you know whether you're a casual fan or a long-term fan we're always just super grateful for the participation and joining us now if you like what we do we also do the same thing we do for comics for tv we do that saturdays and sundays we have a very uh normal saturday broadcast this week and after taking last sunday off so that i could be at the see here i can't get the stuff off the wall to put up the see here now festival don't do it stuff. you're just gonna knock some Something over um, we, we know stop. you were there we're so I proud stop. of you thank you uh but sunday we're gonna have a normal ish broadcast but we're gonna be doing it uh all together it's gonna be really exciting i might like run into tk's camera just to prove that uh, i'm there it's gonna be Sweet. really exciting but until we come back to talk about tv and movies and more on saturday and sunday we have three requirements for you guys number one you got to stay safe number two you got to be brave Number three, evolve daily. And if you can do those three things, we'll see you next time. Don't forget to like and subscribe. X is for show.